Hey guys, Boss Tuna here. You're probably wondering how we're going from Dawn 78 to Day of the Dead. What happened to Dawn 2004? Well, let's just say if you ever go on a fishing trip and you bring your brand new $2,000 laptop that you've had for a month, make sure you put it in an airtight bag uh, because water will ruin it. So long story short, that episode is on that laptop. I'm trying to get it pulled from the hard drive. So I apologize again. Our special guest on that was Carly Sonnefeld, and I'm doing my best to get that episode out to you guys. But I do hope you enjoy our review of Day of the Dead. Thanks, guys. Yeah, bud. I'm running this monkey farm now, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time, bud. Hell yeah, bud. <laughs> Hell is overflowing, and Satan is sending his dead to us. Welcome back, friends, to the Joe Blow Horror Show, where we review, rate, discuss, and break down horror movies, not horror films, unless we are joined by a very special guest, who we'll get to in just a second here. So you are joining us for another episode in our series, Summer of the Dead, which is transitioning into Fall of the Dead, which probably doesn't surprise anybody uh, with our release episode dates that we have going on. Tonight, we are going to be covering Land of the Dead. I'm super excited to get this going. What about you, Tibu? Hell yeah, man. I can't wait for Big Daddy. Big Daddy's going to be rocking this motherfucker, learning how to shoot guns and shit, leading zombies underwater. It's going to be the best. 
All right, we've been running this joke with all of our uh, with all of our co-hosts. We're just joking, Mr. Venom. Uh, we are going to be covering Day of the Dead, nineteen eighty-five. Oh, spectacular! <laughs> I saw him. I saw his. He was looking around for a second. Yep. Like, wait, yes, I was. Oh man! I was. I was looking for Land of the Dead to queue up. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it never gets old. So, with us, we have. I mean, there's a rumor out there that you are not officially a horror movie podcast unless you have Mr. Venom as your host. He is, at one point he had, I think it was 37 concurrent podcasts is what I have in my notes here. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) Most notable for No More Room in Hell. And then there's fresh cuts on that. Uh, I believe you just released your first episode of The Creature Comforts. Is that correct? That, that is correct, sir. Yeah, that was a, uh, uh, because of my work on underwater kaiju from outer space, uh, one of the hosts unfortunately had to take a little bit of a break for life issues. Um, so the three of us that were remaining, you know, we kind of had this void in our life. So yeah, uh, we went ahead and uh, it's not specifically a kaiju show, just out of respect to, you know, the, uh, uh, the guy who created underwater kaiju from outer space, but it's going to be straight creature features. So yeah, we're excited about that one. Yep, and that was Mr. Jerry Herring, who who was actually with us on day or Night of Living Dead, nineteen sixty eight. So yeah, so mm-hmm. I was actually going to bring that up as well. The underwater kaiju from outer space. It's been a minute since you guys had episodes out. Hopefully, um, well, I guess hopefully you get back on track to that. Or if you don't, you've got the creature comforts. And what? Are, yeah, I mean, you were on pre-show. We're talking. You're on. Um, uh, uh, horror cast for a couple of years. Yes, uh, you're a frequent guest with Mr. Duncan McLeish mm-hmm. on the summer series. So check that out. Make sure you have been. So welcome to the show, Mr. Venom. Well, first and foremost, greetings and salutations, listeners. It is a great joy to be here. Um, yeah, uh, this is a film that I've only gotten to speak about once, so I'm really looking forward to really get a little bit more in-depth on it. And the one time that I did get to talk about it was during a series retrospective, so we weren't, able, we weren't really able to give the movie the attention it deserved. But I feel like tonight uh, we're going to break this fucker down. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, so we are going to get into the show. Tibu, do you have anything before we, um, before we crack this bitch open or what? Uh, I want to crack this bitch open, but before we do, I want to crack something else open, man. I'm kind of thirsty. Yeah, it's, it's that same old motorcycle gang. Every, every episode, they're tracking us down. I see some lights up ahead. We better, uh, we better step into the Teddy Twister for a beer, eh? Yeah, bud. All right, the Titty Twister is hopping, and there is another familiar face in here. I see Tom Savini's causing a ruckus over there, showing off his famous cock pistol. So we better we better get up there while uh, uh, we while we got a little shot. So we are going to get this started, and for the first time in this series, we are going to uh, let our esteemed guests. What what did you bring to the party there, Mr. Venom? All right, well. Because of the film and the season, of course, I decided to find something a little bit darker, a little bit bolder. So what I have for us today is from the Lost Abbey Brewery out of San Marcos, California. 
And tonight's selection is Judgment Day. This is an Abbey Quadruple Ale. Um, it currently sits at about 10.6%, so I'm actually a little terrified of drinking this. Um, it does come in 25-ounce bottles, so once I open this, I have no choice but to finish it. So uh, uh, you might get a pretty interesting show out of me today. <laughs> this guy's coming with the heat. Oh, man. Hell yeah, dude. Well, well, I'll attempt to follow this up. What I have is a Central Waters Brewing Company. It's a bourbon barrel Cassian sunset this is a stout aged in used oak bourbon barrels with coffee vanilla beans and cinnamon added um this is a pretty decent beer but i don't think i'm i'm, I'm anywhere near the uh the 10 percent. i'll have to take a look and, and and let you know what that is um are you uh joining us with anything tonight mr mr tibu oh yeah man um i'm currently on the road for work um i'm 45 minutes outside of houston texas so I picked up the oldest craft brewing company in Texas. I picked up uh, the St. Arnold Art Car IPA. I've already cracked it. This thing is extremely hoppy. It's got a uh, 7.1 by volume. So I've got a six pack of this stuff. And um, it's brewed right, right there in Houston. So right, right up the road from where I'm at right now, this is a, it's, it's a tasty brew. Uh, nice. I, an IPA I cannot complain about. Cheers, fellows. Cheers, my friends. Cheers. Oh, mm -hmm. love it. I, I will hot. say what caught my eye with this one was the bur bourbon barrel is outright. And the Irish Mr. Bean, I'm going to pretend that he was drinking bourbon in his little flask. So that's what I was like, <laughs> yeah, this will be a good little, good little thing. So. <laughs> yeah, this one I grabbed looked really interesting. I've never had it before, but this one's actually brewed with raisins, which believe it or not, I'm actually not the biggest fan of raisins, but I'm very curious to see what it tastes like in a brew. So again, cheers, gentlemen. Cheers, yeah. Yeah, cheers. This, I had a little nip of this one. This is, man, it's, it's, it, it, it punches you right in the mouth with uh, that, that oak bourbon barrel. It's pretty dark. Hmm. This, this is actually really delicious. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have ever had a, um, a Chimay from Belgium. But this tastes like a Chimay with coffee in it, which oh, wow. is actually pretty impressive. And wow. again, I don't like coffee either. So yep. I hate coffee. I hate raisins. But somehow I like this fruit. They, they somehow made it work. I'm a little <laughs> bit jealous. Yeah, you're out, in, you're out in California, correct? Yes, sir. I am in L.A. Yeah, yep. So you, you've you probably got a pretty decent selection of, uh, we call them specialties, but of, of the good brew out there. Oh, yeah. The micro brews. We got a bunch. Yep. yep. Yep, nice. So, well, I heard it gets pretty squirrely here after uh, sunset, so we might want to get out while we uh, while, while we still can, eh? <laughs> yeah, before they sink their fangs into us, let's sink our fangs into the you know tonight's film. Yeah, let's uh, let's hop right into the future. I mean, we're not going to mess around. We've got we've got some shit to unpack here. First, he created the most frightening film ever made. He took his unique vision of terror one step further. Now, George A. Romero takes us out of the night, beyond the dawn, and into the darkest day of horror the world has ever known. Day of the Dead. There have to be survivors in Washington. Oh, my. They have more sophisticated shelters than this one. There have to be people in those shelters who know about us, who know where we are. With no radio contact, they'll come looking for us. I said shut up! 
They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. The same way we were tricked into it on the promise of some reward to come. What the fuck is wrong with you people? They're dead! They're fucking dead, and you want to teach them tricks? They have to be rewarded, Captain. Why else will they do what we want them to do? I don't want them to do anything but drop George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. Okay, we are going to be covering not Land of the Dead. That was a JKLOL. <laughs> we are going to be covering Day of the Dead, 1985. This movie is not rated. Clocks in about 101 minutes, directed obviously by the man that is bringing us the Summer of the Dead, George A. Romero. Written by him as well. Starring, kind of going with, with the Romero movies up to this point, lots of actors and actresses that have been in his movies previously. I, I think Martin, there was like three or four actors or actresses that were in Martin alone. Uh, I think Knight Riders I saw in there as well too. So Laura Cardo uh, is in this. Terry Alexander, um, you know, he was in, he, Lori Cardo doesn't really have a whole lot for, I guess, horror cred uh, before this. Terry Alexander was in the horror show. Joe Pilato, I can't wait till we get into Joe Pilato. He's, uh, let's just say he's a treat. Uh, he was in, okay, there, there is, I, I know Mr. Venom has seen a, a, just a ton of horror movies, but a couple I had to point out were Alienator, Empire of the Dark. The Demolitionist, and then obviously I think Wishmaster is, is a lot of people know Wishmaster. Uh, Parasites, I have another one on here. I can't read it because I dripped my fucking beer on it. What is that? Palm Fiction? Oh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, has anyone ever heard of Pulp Fiction? I don't know. <laughs> What's <laughs> that? <laughs> What's that, motherfucker? Malsoulis <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Wiley. Gary Clark, he was in Hackers, uh, and he was also in Big. Uh, as well too so i had a few other other uh, uh people in there uh, as well too but these are going to be kind of uh, the, the main main ones uh we will be talking about one thing we always like to do uh mr venom is is i always like to quiz travis and our guests if you if you didn't look it up or you don't know any guesses on what the budget was oh i know exactly <laughs> okay um the eventual budget was 3.5 million Yes. Yeah, you're on to something. We'll get into that in a minute with the trivia here. Uh, what about the box office? Tibu, I'll let you go first with this one. Any idea what you think this got domestic box office? I don't know the number, but I do know that this was the underlooked Romero zombie film, um, at least of the, well, probably of the original trilogy before it became a, I don't know what the word would be for six films, but I'm guessing it didn't do that well financially. What was the budget? 3.5 mil? 3.5. I'm going to guess it made probably um, lower than 20, like 15, 16 million, maybe. Maybe. And I'm only saying that high because it would come, they would probably market it like from the maker of Dawn of the Dead, you know? What, what do you think, Mr. Venom? 
Um, are we talking worldwide or domestic? Uh, I, I believe the number I have is domestic. Um, hmm. If we're talking domestic. I'll give you a hint since you're the guest. It's more than what Tibu had said. Oh, shit. I'm going to say somewhere around 32. Man, you're, that's, that's, I'm going to say that's spot on because we go by prices right rules and you didn't break. So 34 <laughs> million is, is, 34. is what I came up with. Wow. That's, that, that's a great return. I was, I was very surprised when, when I was looking that up. What do we, um, again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll swing this over to Venom. What do you think this got, if you don't know, uh, what do you think this got on IMDb? I'm actually looking right at IMDb oh, okay. right now, well, so unfair well, question. <laughs> hold on. Uh, Tibu, you tell me IMDb, and then I got another one for Venom. I think, I think this movie's more appreciated now, and IMDb is user ratings, so, man, I would put this movie up, up there probably like 7.4, 7.5, like some mid-sevens somewhere in there. You're close. You're close, but you busted, so that might as well be a zero. 7.1. Seven point. Oh shit! All right. Well, I'll swing. I'll swing this back around to Mr. Venom. Rotten Tomatoes critic score. Oh, Senate. critic score. Critic. Yes. Fifty-eight. Eighty-three percent. Wow. Yes. Whoa. Kind of amazing. Some Whoa. love. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what I would have guessed for Dawn of the Dead because I knew Dawn of the Dead was a hit. Wow. Yeah. What was Dawn seventy-eight? I have that in our list. Critics like this day. movie, huh? Damn. Surprisingly, Dawn was ninety-four uh, percent. That makes sense. <laughs> yep. And then seven point nine on the B. So little little trivia that that I looked up on this. Ironically enough, it this is overall the lowest grossing of the Dead films. So I I was a little bit I had to. I looked at that twice. I was like, well, huh? wait a minute. Wait a minute. It grossed less than survival of the dead. Um, well, up to now, I think he means. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we're, we're talking night in, in this one. Oh, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Or, or okay. Dawn. I, that's, yeah. yeah. And that goes back to me saying, I, I didn't think that this was that big of a hit because Dawn is technically a way bigger hit. So, okay. Yep. Yep. The original script, this is pretty cool. You know, and, and, you know, IMDb's got some information on it, but I was able to watch the trip or the uh, director commentary. It was, it was the one with Lori Cardell, uh, Savini, the, the set designer as well. Uh, but the original script on this had scientists living above ground in a, in a fortress that was electrified with the, the uh, military living underground. But then the cool thing, uh, and, and obviously we're going to get into this in a minute as well, because I think uh, uh, Mr. Venom knows a little bit where I'm going as far as budgetary goes, but there is going to be a small army of trained zombies. Um, but, I mean, obviously we're going to get into the issue with the budget here. So um, sounds like you did a little research on that. What, what do you what'd you find on that one there, Venom? Well, uh, from what I could see, it looks like the studio, they actually wanted uh, Romero to make this right after Dawn. Um, they, because of the success of Dawn, and Dawn, I, 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 most people listening to this probably weren't even around back then. I was, yes, I'm that old. Um, <laughs> This was actually a huge worldwide hit. It's just, this wasn't just a, a domestic hit. Uh, Dawn, that is. Um, it, and Dawn was actually the number one movie in Italy that year, uh, whatever year that Dawn came out. So, I mean, um, this thing did major numbers worldwide. So I know the studio wanted him to jump right into a sequel, and they promised him a $7 million budget if he was uh, you know, willing to do it right away. 
Unfortunately, Romero was, um, he had other projects already lined up, specifically Knight Riders and Creepshow. And Creepshow, of course, is a passion project of George's and no movie was going to get him taken away from Creepshow. He wanted to get that done, especially because he had a major studio backing him up. So by the time 83, 84 rolls around and he's done with Creepshow, then he goes back to the studio and he's like, okay, I'm ready to do Day of the Dead. Unfortunately, because of the poor critical reception for Knight Riders and maybe the poor domestic box office for Creepshow, they ended up telling him, well, you can make Day of the Dead now, but we're cutting your budget in half and we're giving you $3.5 million. Yep, and to and to kind of piggyback off of that, the biggest thing it was a control issue. So they wanted him to make a rated R movie, and he didn't want to have producers looking over. So he had to redo the script. He had to redo a certain amount of things, uh, but he wanted to do it his way. And and the big thing was just going to be he he wanted to have that freedom of of you know because this is we're getting into you know Savini and Nicotero coming up. So the effects on this movie, we'll get into that, but. He turned that down and he could have had it for seven million, but he settled for three and a half, uh, which is still, you know, a pretty good budget. And they were very creative in the locations and the set design and all. Yeah. So it's interesting to kind of sit back and think what could have been with, you know, double the budget of a movie like this, but what would you be giving up and sacrificing and how much would you have the producers, you know, getting their Mm -hmm. dirty mitts and everything and, uh, a few years ago, I was actually able to get my hands on the original script of Day of the Dead, uh, the, oh, wow. the $7 million version. And um, it, it looks like it was really just a lot more zombie set pieces, uh, it, along with the fact that the entire movie didn't take place in the bunker. He was actually going to have a lot more scenes, um, for, you know, the Fort Myers, Florida set for the opening scene. He was going to have a lot more set pieces done there with, you know, big explosions and, you know, things like that. But um he actually from what i understand george is actually very okay with the end product and he's actually somewhat thankful that they decided not to give him the full seven because he's not sure you know talking you know whenever that interview that i saw was what which i think was what like 2014 maybe a few years before george's death and uh yeah he seems like he's extremely happy with the film and is not regretful at all that he didn't get the full seven million so yeah, yeah. I, I, the um, commentary I watched was I want to say it's from '99 or 2000, and, and they brought some some other similar issues up. And it's funny because we've got a running joke on the show about uh, our favorite uh, re- or not reviewer, TB. What the hell's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Roger Ebert, critic, critic. Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and they brought him up on the commentary, and you know he was very harsh on this movie saying that it was extremely overacted and he was like no no you have to have that type of acting in this type of movie so you're right he was he was very happy with it um, yep. overall so i mean the overacting since the majority of the main cast are all uh, theatrical actors i mean yeah. your main 3 plus uh, captain rhodes they they all came from theater and of course you know anybody who knows anything about acting knows that you have to be more you know bold you have to overact when it comes to the theater you have to you have to have that certain level that that balance of not overacting for people in the front row but still being animated enough that the people in the back row understand what's going on so um i think they carried some of that into this production but like you said george was happy with it so that's all that matters and i guess 
can I guess the big three plus Rhodes? You said plus. So is it John, Dr. Logan, and Miguel? Uh, it's it's John, McDermott, and Sarah. Mm-hmm. The, three sur- would be- the three survivors. Yep. Oh, okay. They're my big like- three. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I was going to say because just from – I didn't feel like Sarah overacted. Um, I could say the other ones definitely did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mc- McDermott, eh, he seemed kind of level. For, for he seemed to be on the same level for throughout the film for, for me, but uh, you know, we'll get into some of that later. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to guess the big three you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, big three over actors, <laughs> <laughs> the big three over, and because of all this, this was actually Romero's favorite of all of his, his, his dead films. So, don't oh, really? Yeah, yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yep, a couple a. more quick ones I have. Uh, Again, very, very iconic deaths in this to the point where they were copied in, well, everybody knows, well, everybody that's a fan of The Walking Dead knows Nicotero's balls deep in that series. And he's copied a lot of zombies from this and kills and deaths and whatnot. But Rhodes is, is, is a classic. I mean, that's, that's nostalgia. I, that, I remember that as a kid. One thing I didn't know, uh, until doing research is that they were actually able to procure real pig intestines and pig guts for this. Mm-hmm. And they had them sitting in a fridge and the janitors or custodians were moving shit around cleaning and they forgot to plug it in. I mean, if there's one fridge in an entire fucking movie set, you forget to plug in, do not let it be the one that's got raw animal guts and shit in it. <laughs> and they started to literally rot and they still use them. And, you know, everyone was all method and we're like, yeah, let's do this. And, yeah, I'm going to shove yeah. this fucking rotten intestine in my mouth. And they paid the point, those people extra, by the way. <laughs> would they give them an extra dollar or two hats no, or something? No, no, they, no they, they legitimately paid them extra money. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it was rotten. It was, it was rank. And yeah. I, I saw a quote that from, from Rhodes saying it was like he, he still gags when he thinks about that moment kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and they had to take that scene. Uh, they had to shoot it in one take because of the rotten guts. Uh, Rhodes yeah. was ready to puke. Yeah. Um, it's pretty funny if you watch the behind-the-scenes footage. In between takes, uh, the zombie actors are actually blowing the air away from Rhodes's face because you can see the look <laughs> on his face. He's about to puke. He's like, oh, he's peaked. He just ah. And literally, as soon as George says cut, all the zombies are like, all right, blow it out of his face. Blow it out of his face. But uh, yeah. He should have been like, puke on him, puke on him. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, could you imagine, like, you're getting your uh, – that would be a normal reaction. Uh, you know, nobody can say it's not because I don't think anybody's had their guts ripped out by, you know, unless it was bath salt zombie shit that one year in Miami. <laughs> but nobody can say that doesn't happen. So he should have been thrown up and just selling it, man, sell it. Mm-hmm. I would say my favorite piece of trivia and information on this whole movie is, is something that didn't come out until about – I think it was 20, no, no, it was late nineties actually. So actor Gary Clark, he played steel in this. He found out in, I want to say it was like 98, 99 that he, he knew he was adopted, but he found out that he had 12 other siblings. So brothers and sisters, I think he grew up in, in Ohio. Pretty, pretty cool guy overall. I mean, he, he played professional football for like a year or something. He was a, he was a pretty legit athlete. Um, so people that have done research on this, this, this movie knew that the one thing I found digging a little bit deeper is that his best friend growing up, he found out was his brother and he dated a girl 
that was his sister. Oh, which yeah, yeah. I mean, my my sick, disgusting brain goes into places I wish it wouldn't. But yeah, so that's that's. Uh, I thought that was pretty crazy. So, uh, <laughs> Mr. Gary Clark, you you've you've had one hell of a life, sir. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, he had, he had has recently passed. So yeah, but and he also. Um, I'm sure you know this. He actually read for Rhodes' character when he first auditioned for the movie. He had no idea that uh, that they were thinking about him for Steel. He he only studied the Rhodes lines. He read at the read at, at the audition, and then he leaves. Uh, you know, thinking that he maybe didn't do as good a job as he'd hoped. But then gets a call from George saying, "How do you feel about maybe playing uh, this Steel character?" Because uh, at the last minute, George decided that he wanted Rhodes to be like a Napoleon type, you know, small, angry guys. And Steele would have been just, you know, your traditional, you know, big soldier. But yeah, exactly. So, and ultimately I think he made the absolute right choice. Rhodes is a perfect scumbag. And yeah, yeah. We, we talked to, I think we talked about this in uh, last, uh, maybe in our Dawn 78 show, but, Joe Plato was actually in Dawn 78. So mm-hmm. he, he was one of the cops of the doc. There's a pretty cool fan theory that he, I don't want to say grew up, but he continued in the military and became Captain Rhodes in, in this, which is unfounded. But it's it's pretty cool to think about that. Yeah, whatever that character was in Dawn 78 came to be Captain Rhodes. <laughs> I, I did in my research find another kind of cool fact that Joe Pilato went in and he didn't even do a – uh, I would say audition. He walked in and George Romero said, you're hired something along those lines mm-hmm. kind of thing. So in, in Plato jokes around and says, yeah, I, I, the only reason I got the point is because the, uh, the, the, the budget was cut in half or it got the role. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, anything else you guys have or want to add for trivia? I mean, a lot of the stuff is just going to be some of the themes that are discussed in the movie. But aside from that, even just like the influential nature of this movie, this movie is incredibly influential um, in the sense that um, before this, any zombie movie, be it night 68 or beyond any of the clones that came between 68 and 85, they always started at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Day of the Dead was one of the first zombie movies to actually pick up after the shit's already hit the fan, after society has already lost. They even make the line in the movie that the the zombie count is 400,000 to one human. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then we start after Day of the Dead, then we start seeing more films actually take that same avenue. So, I mean, George is really influential throughout the entire trilogy, you know, not just Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a pretty cool line. Uh, I think Logan brought that in. I, I was doing a little research. I think the population at the time in 85 was around like 230 some, 240, 240 million, mm-hmm. which would make... If, if he, I mean, he was kind of hypothesizing, but if he was accurate, that would make the population on earth 600 or uh, in the United States, 600 people, which is kind of crazy. So, well, I, I, I did the numbers on that too, for the worldwide, I looked up the worldwide and worldwide back in 85, it was 4.8 billion. So that would mean that there was 12,000 living people to every 400,000 undead. That's not a lot. That is, if I did my if I did my math right, which I a hundred percent could have fucking well, fucked you're, it up. you're a fucking Cajun from down south, so that's right. I'm not gonna hold you to it. So, man, where? 
Oh yeah, another another thing too. The that newspaper in the beginning for some reason that reminded me of that. But the dead walk. I, I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out. Do we have? I don't think it was specifically said what the time frame is on this, as far as how soon or far from the original it took place. Right. I mean, obviously we know it was a while because it's it's got to be years, I'd imagine. I mean, I take it as real time. I take it as Dawn of the Dead occurred in the 70s when yeah. it was supposed to occur. And now this is 85, which is what, eight years, six, uh, seven or eight years after Dawn of the Dead, okay. which would make sense. That, you know, I mean, because I don't think society would fall overnight during a zombie apocalypse, you know? Right. Um, people, especially in rural areas, people are armed, you know? So they're going to be able to defend their homesteads a lot better than, say, people in the city. So definitely I would feel like the cities... uh, Oh, yeah, fuck L.A. L.A. is screwed. (laughs) Yeah, you're done. (laughs) South Central L.A. is safe, though. Oh, they got all the guns. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm in the San Fernando Valley. Not as many guns here. So, yeah, zombie apocalypse would take us out, definitely. Yeah, we'd be okay in South Louisiana, man. There's a lot of woods where I live. We would just kind of be hanging out and doing what they did in Dawn, where they just kind of looked from Rednecks running around. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) pretty much. gumbo and shooting zombies with their... We'd have zombie jambalaya and etouffee, (laughs) cuz. It'd be off the it'd be off the chain. Oh, brother, I'd be right there with you here in in central middle of nowhere Iowa as well. So, yeah. Um, you know, one thing we like to do, uh, Mr. Venom is talk about our first time we saw this movie. Um, I'll let, I'll let our guests go first. Give me, give me your, the first time, give me, give me all the nostalgia. I mean, put me there, man. Okay. Uh, well, this was, this is an easy one. July 19th, 1985. Uh, I saw the movie opening night. I was 15 years old. Uh, a group of friends, uh, we were, I, Dawn of the Dead was back then and still is my favorite zombie film, period, ever. Preach, preach. <laughs> and so obviously a bunch of us, well, maybe not a bunch, like the three or four of us that hung out together that actually cared about zombies were very excited about this release. And believe it or not, I was not a big fan walking out of the theater. I loved the gore. I was like, oh, the gore is great. But I was a little upset that there was like no unintentional comedy. Like in the first two uh, of the zombie trilogy, there's a little bit of, obviously in Dawn, there's a lot. In Night, you know, we would get a little bit here and there. Here, there's almost none. I mean, obviously Steel is kind of a funny character when he goes around cackling all over the place. But for the most part, not a lot of unintentional comedy. And I also remember a lot of people complaining about the lack of likable characters. Um, In the first two zombie films, we had... Um, obviously because we have a larger cast, maybe not counting night, of course, but with a larger cast, you have a a larger chance of having more likable characters in this movie. Most people seem to like Sarah and that's about it. Like they basically found problems with every other character. Um, even, even with John and McDermott's kind of, you know, uh, we'll take care of ourselves attitude. I remember a lot of people saying, well, they're not really good guys either. They're good in the sense that they take care of Sarah and anybody who asks for their help, of course, but that they're not like overtly, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say heroic because they are very heroic, but um, I just remember, you know, reading a lot back in 85 when the film came out and those were like two of the biggest complaints was just uh, the lack of likable characters and the amount, uh, the lack of comedy in any way, because that's something that people weren't used to in zombie films, that, that hard, 
you know, 100% hard-boiled, just serious movie beginning to end. So, um, obviously, as the years have gone along, we've all softened up to it. I mean, obviously, some of us loved it as soon as they saw it. I think I ended up seeing it twice during its theatrical run. I think I saw it a couple of weeks after opening weekend, and I did enjoy it more. Obviously, those second watches are very important. Um, When you kind of know where the story's going, you can pay more attention to other details and appreciate other aspects of the film, which I absolutely did. So yeah, um, this is is pretty much an annual, uh, you know, uh, tradition for me. No particular time of the year. I don't necessarily pull out my zombie movies at Halloween or anything like that. Uh, But when it comes to all six uh, Romero zombie films, they are annual watches for me. Yes, my friends, I also enjoy the second trilogy. I know it it doesn't hold a candle to the original trilogy, but I'm still a fan. I, I love everything Romero did. So, yeah, I'm a little bit of a stan. Oh, man. We line up very closely, but I'm nice. going to let Tibu go next. Uh, Day of the Dead is a film that I didn't see until, honestly, a few years ago. Um, when, when you were like 13 or 14? or No, no. When I was in my <laughs> late 20s. Um, I had seen Dawn once before, a long time before that, uh, before the review that we just did, too. But I had only ever seen it like once. And Night of the Living Dead, though, has been one of my favorites forever. But I saw a day a few years ago wanting to finish out or continue on the Romero uh, zombie train. Well, I don't want to tip my hand about the film, but it's Day of the Dead. I yeah, mean, it's not, I, it doesn't have Ving Rhames in it, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I saw, I saw it later in life, pretty much. So that's amazing that you saw it when it came out, uh, Mr. Venom. That's fucking awesome. I can't imagine seeing that zombie, like the newspaper flying by saying the dead walks and then seeing that fucking amazing zombie as the title card hits. Jaw ripped off. In, Mr. Tongue. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Doc, Dr. Tongue. Dr. Right? Tongue. That's right. Doctor. You're right. In the opening, that's the opening. It's like mind blown, bro. <laughs> the benefits of being old. You get to see, you got to see a lot of stuff in your youth. So so I, I didn't see this uh when it came out uh, i wasn't 15 um I, I wasn't really probably talking much either uh, maybe a little bit but uh, just to give you a quick little recap my i was fortunate enough that my uncle owned a franchise of family video so i kind of got run of the mill with a lot of these movies so i had i had a deep obsession my horror you know nerdum started with zombies and it's my favorite genre by far. Uh, so obviously this one, and I was so young, this is before internet and Google and whatnot. I had no idea they were, you know, because they weren't put together as a series or alphabetical. So I didn't even know there was a second one. You know, I, I found Night of Living Dead from, from uh, Joe Bob uh, and then Dawn of the Dead. I remember seeing that case uh, sitting on the shelf with, you know, the zombie and the orange and all that kind of stuff. So I saw this one probably not, I probably didn't see this until I was 10 or 11. And like you, first watch, I didn't really like it. I'm going to expand on that more at the end, and we'll leave it at that. So I've seen Night of Living Dead 100 times. I've seen Dawn of the Dead 200 times plus. I've seen this one probably maybe 10 times. And 
you know, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that later, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's like, like Tibu said, it's day of the dead. I mean, it's not, it's not that day of the dead with, uh, Ving Rames, but I guess we'll get, we'll get this one unpacked here. So <laughs> I'm kidding. But as far as, as, I mean, let's, let's get into this Tibu. What do you got? This is a prequel to Fido. Ah, uh, prequel to Fido. Yep. Bub Bub grew up a little bit and became uh, became <laughs> Michael Connelly or whatever Fido. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay. The this movie opens in sort of the same way as sort of the same way as Dawn of the Dead. I think there might be an alternate opening, maybe, maybe not. But um, isn't it isn't the beginning of Dawn sort of a dream sequence or something like that? No, she she just she's sleeping and wakes up at the at the uh, the TV station. Okay. Well, and, but and so this you're you're kind of on the right track with right. This film opens in in a, a completely gray room where uh, Doctor Sarah, she's a doctor, wakes up and she's staring at a calendar. And um, fittingly enough, it's Halloween. Down, yeah, it's Halloween. <laughs> How's it say? How perfect is that? It's so breaking the fourth perfect. wall, letting our our listeners know uh, it's October already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be December and, by you hear this. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> Summer of the Dead for Christmas. You're welcome, motherfuckers. Yeah. Instead of <laughs> yeah, instead of Christmas on the Fourth of July. Yeah. So, she approaches the calendar is. and goes to reach out and touch it, and all these zombie hands pop out the cinder blocks, and that's how the movie starts. She wakes up in a helicopter, flown by John. Uh, with his co-pilot slash the electronics whiz that handles the radios and all that, McDermott. And I, I like to call them, uh, as I said, uh, Irish uh, Mr. Bean and Jamaican Creed. Oh, God bless oh. it. Oh, fucking Bert. Uh, no, not Carl Bert Weathers. Young. Apollo Creed. Yeah, Carl Apollo Weathers. Creed. Yeah, Carl it's Jamaican Apollo Young Creed and, and Irish, <laughs> Irish Mr. Bean. <laughs> That dude is laying on that Jamaican accent. So oh man, hard. he was. Yeah. Oh, that was that was like crunchy peanut butter, fucking both sides of the bread on that. <laughs> yeah, they, they're and also they have Miguel with them, um, who is a uh, you know he's in the vestiges of a a torn army that is no doubt spread thin <laughs> across the whole country, which we find out in a scene in a second. But they're 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 all in this helicopter together, and they're trying to find other survivors uh, in in Florida. They're in Florida. This is take this takes place in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, Fort Myers. Yep, they're yep they're doing the flyover. Yeah, you see they, yeah they're they're going around looking for survivors, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. survivors. And instead, all they hear, because you hear it first, they're like, listen to it. You can hear it over the engines of the helicopter. It's just this roar of moans coming from within the city and that's when you get your your epic title card with with dr tongue and the newspapers just fucking litter in the streets zombies walking around everywhere the zombies look better in this movie than in day of dawn of the dead by hands far, down yeah. hands down. i do really like the, the this for me when i was watching this as a kid I, I remember the the feeling i got watching this because it did a really good job making you feel like they started out where there's just nothing. It's just vastness. It's emptiness. Everybody's dead. And it took a couple minutes for the zombies to come in. And then it just kind of hits you like you're in the middle of fucking nowhere and there's nobody around. 
shit starts going through my head like god i hope that fucking helicopter is still there i hope it still starts up because yeah, you're done otherwise yeah and he even tells him too like uh yeah oh, yeah oh. a little too early in the movie for uh them to uh have too big uh you know breakdown yet there so yeah yep. N- nice taste the home- homeboy even uh john even tells him too was like if there's some trouble here I'm out of there the first sign or whatever. He's like letting them know, like he's not going to stick yep. around for any of bullshit, man. Which is weird because it's a little bit of a swerve at first. You're like, Oh, this guy's a fucking asshole. And then you realize like, Oh, he is, he's, he's like the nicest Apollo Creed ever. <laughs> I mean, he is really only out for himself, him and his buddy for the yep. most part. Yep. I know Sarah kind of, you know, becomes a part of the trio later on, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people back in the day recognize the selfishness a little bit more than the heroic aspects. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, uh, well, when you do finally get there with them, yeah, they, they live alone pretty much even, even in the base, which yeah, after, after the horde of zombies makes itself known, they get the hell out of there. There's no survivors. It's all just fucking dead people. And they, they head back to their underground bunker where um they they have an exchange outside that that that's when john is pretty much he's like uh i say we get in this whirly bird find an island somewhere get juiced and soak up the sun and sarah's like oh yeah you would do that huh and he's like i'd do that even if this shit wasn't fucking happening man like he don't care he don't care (laughs) he just wants to sit back fish crush some fucking red stripes and live it up (laughs) because he's from jamaica i don't believe that motherfucker's from jamaica but they they also find out the person in charge of their what's uh not a camp their base is is dead um Mm -hmm. major cooper he's he's gone gonzos did they say i've always thought about what's oh yeah that that was my question is i always thought what happened to him like it probably wasn't a zombie bite but i mean yeah we don't get any explanation on screen but yeah you know there's there's certain things that you don't really think about, I mean, if, if we're talking about society shutting down for like weeks or months, that's one thing in its own set of problems. But when you're years beyond something simple, like a common cold or, or, or something, or, or you get injured or hurt and you don't have that type of medical care. I mean, just something like, like a, like a burst appendix, you know, something that you go and you're fucking a surgery and you're out in a day that'll, that'll kill you. So yeah, they don't they don't give you any contacts as far as what happened to him, and and you don't need it either. But it's always you know my brain you know after watching this movie, you know a handful of times you're like I wonder did what wonder what did happen to him. But oh yeah, genre fans, we're all the same. We yeah. we don't want any unanswered questions. So. Yeah. No, I, I mean I, I think what happened was is he ate a couple too many of those cans of of the beef treats, and he he got food poisoning and and. I mean, he just, he got dehydrated because he had the shits for so long. That's what I really, <laughs> so, that, that makes oh, sense. Beef treats. Oh, fucking, um, also Miguel's kind of like losing his fucking mind right now, yep. by the way. He's starting to go a little, a little nutso in the butt. So, uh, he, he's freaking the fuck out. He slaps the shit out of his girlfriend, uh, out of Sarah, like three times in their room. Cause he's like, she's trying to sedate him. And he's like. I'm not, you know, you made me look like an asshole. Oh, yeah, because the scene right before that, whenever they were being lowered down into the base, fucking, uh, you meet Steel and Rickles, right? These yeah, two well, clowns. You meet, yeah, you meet, you meet um, 
uh, was it Johnson who is who is uh, Nicotero's character? And I mean, these are a couple expendable soldiers uh, per se. Yeah. But yeah, you're getting your your cast of characters. Rickles is my fucking favorite. I love that guy. He ended up dying. I, I looked him up. He died from a car accident. I, don't, I mean, he's only like 32 years old. It was a shame. Which means he was he was only like 24 in this movie. Oh. And and I was looking. I was like, man, your hairline says you're like fucking 40, but whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, he he kind of did look a little older than 24. Yeah, Damn. You know, yeah. No, you meet the whole cast of characters. I'll tell you what, though, that getting into my first, I would say, kind of. I don't know if I'd say con, but dislike is, is I didn't really like the, the character of, of Miguel. It, it maybe that was, you know, we've had this conversation before where the character is written a certain way to elicit a certain, I guess, emotion from a viewer. And if that was the case, it was pretty effective because this guy drove me fucking nuts. But yeah, well, he, that I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like him. He is an asshat, but um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, for the sake of the story and 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 what what he is uh, compared to all the other characters, he's the only person that's fucking in this whole fucking movie. So <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. is he well, though? I, oh yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, the only ripples were were inseparable. So right, they tell oh, us. Oh well, I mean, that I mean, aside. they tell us in the film that those two are in a relationship. But you tell me, did those two actors have any chemistry whatsoever? Did you believe that they were in a, a relationship? Exactly. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm gonna say this because he was losing his mind so badly at this point, and it, given the circumstances, it, it's not that I didn't believe it because I didn't think they had chemistry. I thought they were both doing very good performances. I think they were at a point where it was it was beyond Rocky because of how he was being. She was just trying to take care of him while saving the fucking world. I didn't find it unbelievable. No. Uh, not hmm. not me personally, but but only because you only see him when he's losing his mind. You never see them trying to right, actually right. love each other. Um, I mean, he's just going fucking it's crazy. Just, I, he's pushing away the only person who seems to give a shit about him. And, and that a, lot of, just... a lot of I think a lot of people do that in real life, though. Mm-hmm. Ah, valid, I guess. But man, I, I, it's just you like you said, you since we get no actual character development before all of this, it's really hard to gauge his personality. I'll give you that. That's an absolutely valid statement. But from what's presented to us for an hour and 40 minutes on film, I just, I, I don't see it. Even, even when they're not yelling at each other, like right before she gives them the shot and they're having that quiet moment, I, I'm just not getting the vibe that this is a couple. You know, even if they're not in a quote-unquote official relationship, even if they're just fucking, I'm still not even getting that vibe either. So I guess it's just a personal thing. Well, the, yeah. the director's commentary well, had the answer. Oh, yeah. What's that? Romero said that uh, the character Miguel was just carrying a beef baton between his legs, and that's all it was. So, oh, well, <laughs> I'm kidding. Ever? No. Oh. But- <laughs> well, well, my point was though that. He, his character being who he is in the film, being broken, being despondent, being like like Mr. Venom said, like rejecting his 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 uh, girlfriend or fuck buddy, wh- whichever, what have you. Everyone else seems to think they're an item, and that puts her in the hot seat. Where all of a sudden, and they say it because at one point I forget exactly what the scene is, but uh, one character basically says uh, she's going to get passed around or raped. I mean, in, uh, in so many words. Yeah, Rhodes does. Yeah, so, Rhodes. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, for, for what it's worth though, everything you're saying is true because I mean, we're, we're, we're getting kind of thrown into this story. We have to assume they were at this underground base for years and we're getting thrown into like the last few days of the yeah. collapse. So, I mean, this has been a downward spiral for a long time. So, you know, to, to, to your, your credit, we don't know, we, we don't see their, their true, I guess, characteristics of them because we're seeing Miguel. Because she said earlier too, right, you know, they went out on this, um, I don't know, supply run or, 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 you know, trying to find survivors. And she said he was up for 24 hours and they get back. And the first thing they do is, is you got Rickles and Steel trying to get him to wrangle some fucking zombies and, you know, his man yeah. card is at, is at risk, you know, because she, they have, Sarah they have, they have a corral. Yeah in this underground base just to say for any listeners who might not have seen the film there's a corral of zombies in this underground base used for test subjects specimens for a doctor that all the military guys call frankenstein because of the sorts of experiments he performs on on these these zombies and yeah that that's his man card is tested because they're like uh, steel is like you grab that fucking pole or whatever and you you put this it's like a dog collar like a dog catcher's dog mm -hmm. collar on a pole mm -hmm. and they they gotta they gotta lure the zombies over a hook them. already had like collars on which i was like all right oh i didn't notice that we're just mm -hmm. out hunting zombies hey grab that zombie with the the pink skirt on because she's got a dog i mean it was, it was like that bdsm club or some shit like i don't know oh, shit. <laughs> i would imagine they collared action. them as they put them in there maybe in there, yeah yep mm -hmm. but yeah that that that's where his is yeah it, it's it just get it gets worse and worse i mean he's he's literally got no art it just is a slow descent, descent. yeah down. but it's also a product of his time too because you're, you're right he he bitch slaps the shit out of her and it's three times in in real life he hit her five times so they must have done a couple different <laughs> Because she, she told him, she was like, I want you to really slap me. And he was like, it's 1985. I'll slap the shit out of you. And she did. <laughs> or he did, yeah. So yeah. Al Pacino, Godfather, part two her ass. <laughs> Al Pacino slapped the fuck. I forget the actress's name, but he slapped the shit out of her um, to the point to where it, like, stunned her. And, yeah. So. That was the take. I mean, it's a good thing Kubrick wasn't fucking directing that. <laughs> oh my god that would have been 147 slaps basically it would have been man like a well not manslaughter that would have been like second degree murder i don't know uh <laughs> yeah well miguel don't want to be sedated he drops the pole the, the, the zombie they're trying to wrangle gets loose and still gets pissed yeah and he he's holding miguel over this zombie in in the pen that's reaching up at him like ah! It was it was done well too. It, it was a yeah. great shot because I mean his 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 fucking chains were his dog collar was coming down or dog chains mm -hmm. I mean or or um uh, dog tags dog tags good mm -hmm. god and yeah that zombie was like oh, you're like oh, oh he's so close. I honestly the first time I ever watched this movie I thought he was gonna die right there because I, I thought he was gonna be a throwaway character a character that's losing his mind. Yeah, it hadn't really truly been established yet. I don't think that they were an item. Um, it's not, I don't think it's until the next scene when Sarah talks to Rhodes after Cooper's, they find out that major Cooper's dead. 
And she's like, look, you need to take uh, Miguel off active duty because he's fucking crazy. And he's like, can't spare him. And I love the line. She's walking out. He's like, you better consult me the next time before you drug one of my men. You understand? She's like, yes, sir. Fuck you, sir. <laughs> yep. Slam. I love that shit. Yeah. What? <laughs> Captain Rhodes is one of my all-time favorite bad guys because that, hell yeah, he's he's a he's he's one hundred miles an hour from the get-go. I mean, he's it's just a full sprint. For he the- snaps constantly. He's constantly just losing losing his shit on people, and it's fucking awesome. Because Italians he, have short fuses. Yeah, <laughs> bruh. He when Pilato insane when i was watching that uh this this sec because i watched it a couple times in preparation the second time i was trying to think i was like god you know like like venom was saying before you know we're, we're after we've seen these movies so many times you're looking at it from different angles and you got different shit going through your head i'm like i wonder how he was with you know the old uh captain or, or lieutenant or whatever was it colonel i don't Major. Even- major with the old major i was like i wonder you know what his i because i can picture him when the major was around i can picture rickles and steel being the exact same but i picture Rhodes as being like like a like suck up complete fucking opposite of what he is and then the major goes down which i wouldn't be surprised if fucking Rhodes was the one that ended him and, valid yeah yeah and and Rhodes took him out and was like, I'm running this fucking monkey farm now. Yeah. <laughs> he does. I, I love I love it. Call it overacting, call it whatever you want. I, it was fucking perfect. He's, it's he's the fucking best. He's a gem. He's is <laughs> Well and and to, to to finish that scene where uh he slaps the shit out of uh, Miguel slaps the shit out of Sarah a lot, it's because he don't want to get sedated. He immediately starts to hug her and cry. And she stabs the fuck out of him with the syringe, and he calls her a bitch a bunch before he falls asleep. Yeah, he's, he cries himself to sleep. It's a real he's healthy relationship. Slaps the shit out of her, calls her, <laughs> calls her whatever. But yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I kind of fucked that up because it's after that she talks to Rhodes. But after that, you get introduced to my boy. This might be my well, him and Rhodes. It's a tie between these two guys as my favorite characters of the film. You get introduced to Frankenstein himself, Dr. fucking Logan. <laughs> uh, Sarah goes into his little laboratory, and you see a zombie chained to the wall by his neck. Uh, what's that? I think it's pronounced laboratory. Oh, okay. Laboratory. That's nerds call it. <laughs> that's fine. Um, Logan, Logan starts to show off like his studies, and he's like, um, Zombies are operating off of a deep, dark, primordial instinct, the prehistoric jelly inherited by the reptiles. Oh, well, if you're going to do Dr. Logan, though, it's more like, you see, Sarah, they are working off of the deep, dark, primordial instinct, the (laughs) jelly inherited from the reptiles. Like, he's got this awesome way of uh, delivering his lines that set him apart from everybody else in this movie. He's so he into his a, work. He's he has almost. an endless amount of optimism. Like every line he speaks is like the most optimistic thing uh, possible. I mean, it, I don't want to say happy, goofy necessarily. He is always in a good mood for the most to part. Me, to me, it's manic. He's like manic about it. Yes. Like, oh, 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 look at this. Oh, and we could do this and civility, civility and, and shit. And like, he's just going the fuck off, man. He, he's losing his One mind. One I had rape, like when we first meet 
Logan, the one note I had was is like his cadence and delivery is is I love it. I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just you're right. The way he talks. Well, you see what separates us is civility. He's proving he's proving that like, but in a good way mm-hmm. for, for scientists. Oh yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, I can't think of another scientist role that I would compare, except maybe Goldblum in The Fly to an extent. Um, yeah. it is even down to the delivery in Kata, and I think that movie came out the same year or the year later, something like that. A year later, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, who knows? Maybe a little bit of inspiration. Um, uh, Logan, Logan's like, they eat for this reason. That's, that's what they're operating off of. That's why they still try to eat. Cause that's the most basic thing for life to consume life, but they're the undead. So they get no nourishment from this and it's almost pointless. And he thinks that they can be domesticated. They can be trained. They can be controlled. So instead of trying we to find a cure scientists too, at this point as well. So we're meeting, Oh, it's a uh, Fisher. What the hell is his name? Uh, Ted. Miller or Ted Fisher? Uh, Ted Fisher. Yeah, you're right. Ted Fisher. We, we, we meet him. Who, who is another alum for the Romero series? I think he was... Uh, multiple. Multiple yeah, alum. Multiple. Wasn't he uh, the kid Martin? He was Martin, yes. Yeah. Uh, he was also the Father's Day zombie in Creepshow. I want my cake. Oh, yeah. That was him. Yeah, that was him. Okay, nice. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, we, we've pretty much... I mean, this is a, this is a small cast for this this movie i mean we we get four or six main characters and and another three or four kind of offshoots which you know <laughs> there's a couple that you, that i don't even think really have lines and nicotero's got like one line in the mess hall kind of thing yeah the next scene after this logan's showing all this shit off and sarah's not impressed and she's like we can't fucking go and get any more specimens the military's pissed oh you get the the zombie breaking breaking off the gurney and the guts spilling to the floor like this is one of those zombie set pieces that i i i guess uh mr venom was referring to before where i'm sure some of the budget went to this this is this is like like dr tongue at the beginning this is perfection this this is the dream sequence where she's dreaming that miguel because he 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 leans up and i think all the guts roll off right no, this is in the lab. This is when fucking... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lab yeah. was first, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and Homeboy walks up to her. Uh, and, uh, Logan walks up to the zombie with that drill and just drills him right in the head. Yep. And you see, you don't know his name is Bub yet, but you see Bub, who's chained to the wall by his neck, is like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like he's he's kind of like, oh, okay. I guess yeah, these are, these are easily the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Humanistic zombies of this trilogy. Like these zombies they actually show fear they show frustration like that that's pretty epic for a romero zombie at this point anyway so yeah 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 because they're bringing fur coat zombie in and and i think Mm -hmm. that chick zombie at this point but you you can tell right away i mean they're they're trying to you know separate bub from the rest of them and they do a good job of that because you can tell right away bub is is a little bit different he's a little bit elevated compared to the the rest of the, the zombies at this point Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, my my biggest question was always like, what kind of time frame was Doctor Logan thinking about that he was going to be able to train or train might even be a stretch because ultimately all you have to do is get them to not eat. If they don't eat, then they don't attack us, and we could coexist. And I, I'm still wrapping my brain around what his 
ultimate plan was like was he going to come up with some kind of serum i've got an answer. was he actually going to physically train them which would have taken just decades what do you got i've got an answer he was losing his mind oh just like miguel 100 percent just like rhodes is losing his mind i mm-hmm. i think that he didn't have a grand plan man i think this dude was off his rocker because this plan makes no fucking sense 100 mm-hmm. just just find a way to fucking kill him or try to do what Sarah wants to do. Figure out a way to stop this from even transpiring at all. Like a, a cure, if you will. Instead, he's like, I, I, I want a, a, a movie one day called Fido to exist. Where zombies basically do all the yard work and dishes. It's like, no, dude. That's not, that's not going to fucking happen. You're, <laughs> you're smart, but you're crazy. You're, um, you're 100% right. Because that... that- that is exactly the direction where, where I was going when I was thinking about this because it, it's it's unrealistic. I mean, we're sitting here on our couches watching this movie and, and we're like, yeah, this is 100% not going to happen. It's unrealistic. And she even brought it up to him too. She's like, you know, you're going to take a surgery that takes 15 hours to do on one zombie and there's fucking, you know, 400,000 of them per human. It's It's just unrealistic. So I think... Yeah, that he is losing his mind. But also, you know, if I'm playing devil's advocate on myself, the one thing I was thinking about is, is he is a scientist. And he had, there's a throwaway line in this movie that seems like a throwaway line, but it's when he's talking about his father. And his father was a very successful and rich surgeon. And his father was teasing him, saying that you're never going to go anywhere as a research scientist. So I, I think that part of it, too, is, is he is in a different mindset from a lot of doctors and scientists because he's a research scientist. So his own you know, validity and what he does is, is, can I take this zombie that people say is, is dead and you can't do anything to rehabilitate it, and can I rehabilitate it? So I think he's kind of like like, like ultra focused on this, this one kind of mission. And he's looking at these, I wouldn't say they're, they're, they're like small revelations, but I mean, we get to the point of the movie where Bub, you know, kind of, kind of does take that turn a little bit. So it's kind of tough to, you know, kind of put it in a box as far as what his character motivations are. I'm wondering if the military knew what his plan was before they even sent him to the bunker? Or did he have like some kind of, oh, I'm going to work on a vaccine or, a, you know, whatever, yeah. cure? You know, did he lie to the military or did he actually go to the bunker with the intention of working on a cure and then while there go crazy and he's just like, well, fuck it, let me try to train him, you know? I would have liked gonna, to have seen a little bit more of that. Yeah. I'm going to give it the cube theory. Um, go back and listen to us cover cube from uh, – was it 1997? That's a Canadian horror film. Um, this in that in that film, spoilers. I think kind of like with that theory that you just posed: is he lying? Do they even know? They probably knew at some point what the mission was, but so much time has passed and so much has happened that it's become convoluted, and no one even knows what the fuck this thing is going on for anymore, other than to have a solution or to have an end result. And who knows? Who knows at this point? I like that they don't really touch on it, to, to, to be honest. Um, they, they do enough in that they plant the seed that it started out as a government and uh, I, I would say scientific research team. And this small group of, group of military people were there just for support. 
that was it. Sarah, Sarah does bring that up right away in the movie and was like, when did this become a military operation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terry was well, there speak- just for support. But they don't really say exactly what the, the, the purpose was. And you have to imagine it was to find some kind of cure. But, I mean, you're not going to cure these things. Well, speaking of the scientists and the soldiers, that this is the scene. They have the meeting. Uh, Rhodes told Sarah, let everyone know, 7 o'clock, everybody be in this motherfucker. He basically takes control of the base at this point. He lets everyone know that he's in charge. He's running the monkey farm. And Sarah's objecting, and he's, he threatens to shoot her ass straight mm. up. And he's going so far as to tell Steele, like, shoot this woman. Steele, who is a jerk. Also, he's the racist brother of the racist SWAT guy from Dawn of the Dead in my, <laughs> in my mind. And Rhodes is the, is the same dead. character. Yeah. He <laughs> jokes around that he's going to shoot her, but then Rhodes pulls a gun on him like, no, motherfucker. I'm not kidding. You got to the count of five, and you're at three right now. So still reluctantly gets up and takes his gun out, cocks it, points it at Sarah. She finally is like, all right, all right. And John was telling yeah, her, too, like, man was about ready to draw. I mean, we had like freaking Doc Holliday drawn on these guys. It was going to be game over. It was going to be Huckleberry in there. All right. He'll, John was going to be Steele's Huckleberry because. No Huckleberry. Yep. That's right. Um, what, when and, we get Logan rolling up yeah. fashionably late. Yeah. It's the best. <laughs> It's, it's, this has got to be like one of the most, I don't know, for me, it's like one of my most underrated, but scenes in the movie, because at first, like, he's like, you know, Rhodes is on his fucking high horse, just, you know, the Napoleon (laughs) before he's like, do we have any food? And he's like, listen here. And he like slaps the fucking table. And he's like, no, do we have any food? And I'm like, oh, this fucking guy, dude. I mean, he's, he's, he's coming back at him with like, excuse me, excuse me, is there food? And he's, that's all he's worried. He comes yeah. in blood, like soaked in blood in his lab jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fucking Does like, wear, wear, wear gloves or. He doesn't even shower. He just stinks of the zombie blood all the time. I swear to God. He walks in there that. smelling the zombie pus and he's just like demanding to eat. He's one upping roads every second of the way. Like outsmarting him and, and telling him like, well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You don't have well, enough food. Well, what it's worth in these operations, you would think that, I mean, I, I kind of get the feeling that he was in charge because it is a government scientific operation. Yeah. Typically, you know, the lead scientist is going to be the one in charge. So that's the kind of, kind of, you know, feeling or notion I get is that he was kind of the one in charge you know, because why else would he talk to Rhodes that way? So I think when the major died, you know, Rhodes is like, fuck this, bro. I'm, I'm running this monkey farm now. I love that. That's my favorite quote. <laughs> yeah, Rhodes, yeah. He agrees to give him some time. But the thing is, John says it. And in, in, in like right after that, John's explaining to Sarah, like, they all have to be worried. Everybody has to be worried. The soldiers, the scientists, except he's like, he, I fly the whirly bird, so he ain't going to kill me. Uh, he ain't going to kill McDermott because he knows radios. And he's not going to kill 
Frankenstein because he could talk him silly. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. He could just talk him silly because he's just so much fucking smarter. I love Dr. Logan's character. And he, and he presents yeah. himself that way like a man in charge and like a man that knows what the fuck's up. Thing is, he is going crazy, in my opinion. I think the dude's kind of losing his fucking mind, too. So, yeah. you know. How about that yeah, little um, oasis they get? The, the, the Ritz? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. They got the best setup in the whole movie. because They're all in this underground place, but uh, John and McDermott get to hang out way off to the side from everybody else. They got these trailers set up, and um, on, it, behind the trailers, they've got like a little what is it like a tent and and these lights and mm -hmm. they just get drunk and hang out and wear sweaters. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice white, clean sweaters, 20, 10 years after the apocalypse. It, it's pretty cool. So, I mean, obviously I, I hope that everyone listening to this has, has seen the movie, but the, this, if you have it, this is taking place in an underground bunker and it's actually a real storage facility in Pennsylvania so the the opening shot was shot in Fort Myers and everything underground was shot in Pennsylvania and it's cool because in the commentary they're saying that they use that for storage for everything from mm -hmm. movies to boats to RVs so when they're driving around in those little golf carts down there and you see the boats and RVs and stuff that's actually like real people's RVs and shit they just stored on there uh, yeah. Well, so yeah, this movie has the distinction of not using any sets. Every location that you see in this film is a real location. We've already talked about Fort Myers. Now we're talking about the, you know, the uh, the storage, the underground storage facility in Pennsylvania. Yeah, no sets whatsoever, and I think that really adds a lot to the realism of this. You know, um, for sure. Obviously, sets still work really well when you've got a, you know, a, a skilled director and a skilled cinematographer shooting the stuff. But the fact that this is, it's so organic as you're watching it, like to, to actually build the area where the zombies are kept uh, would have been a ridiculous undertaking. But the fact that that was already there is just so great. And obviously it, um, it helps the director because budget. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that zombie corral is vast. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and the cool thing too with that is, is that's all natural. So when you watch that and you see those like, pillars and columns that are all carved out of rock i mean that should happen with you know fucking thousands probably probably million yep. years of water just flowing and cutting these these little like pillars it, it, it's it's cool it was you know and, and that set designer I, I wish i could get his name i just was watching it on the thing but yeah he did he did a fantastic job you know finding that place and, and really setting up the shots and utilizing what they had at their disposal I, I yeah i thought it was pretty pretty great when sarah visits john's oasis she's going down there for the sole purpose of getting drunk but john wants to get deep because he don't i guess mcdermott don't have these types of deep deep ass conversations this is one yeah, of my true. favorite scenes in the movie mm -hmm. because it, it I'm going to uh, uh, explain the scene. I'm going to go grab a beer. I forgot my other beer. All right. Boss Tuna knows, Mr. Venom, that I am a fan of cosmicism, cosmic horror, mm -hmm. existentialism, or anything that has to deal with the macro just completely crushing the micro. And in this scene, we, we get John telling Sarah, we haven't figured out why the stars are where they are. So what makes you think you're going to figure this out? Here's the key. He says, you're never going to figure this out. We're not meant to know certain things. 
that's that's the that that is the key to cosmic horror is the unknown. Yes. And he gives his little theory that the creator visited a curse upon this world to give the people a vision of what hell is actually like. Mm-hmm. And the way this the tone of the film and even the score is playing out at this point, it 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 fills me with a certain dread of like, oh my God, just imagine for a moment that that is the case and that mm-hmm. this is hell on earth. No more room in hell. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's funny too, because I'm going to chime in here for a little bit because um, this is one of my favorite kind of social commentary slash subtext scenes in the film. Uh, let's remember back to Dawn of the Dead. We have um, Ken Foray's character, Peter. And what, what does he say his idea of what's going on is? My grandmother used to say, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth, i.e. punishment from below. In this film, when John is explaining uh, to Sarah what he thinks is going on, he talks about God keeping us in check, that we might be getting too big for our britches, which indicates punishment from above. And I love the dichotomy between these two films because they really speak about society at the time. Um, you know, in the 70s and beyond, everybody was concerned with evil. The devil is, you know, devil's going to get you. But in the 80s, uh, with the rise of televangelism, uh, the, the script kind of flipped to God is going to punish you. God is going to condemn you to hell if you're a homosexual. God is going to condemn you to hell if you do drugs. God is going to con- uh, condemn you to hell if you abort a child. Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't about punishment from below. It was about God's um, smiting humanity. And I, I love that dichotomy between the two films. Um, it, it's something that no one ever really talks about. And to me, it seems so obvious. Um, you know, like I said, the, the difference in society between the 70s and the 80s. And of course, again, with the 80s and the rise of televangelism, which would eventually lead to the satanic panic. And I was yes. a teenage metalhead in the 80s. So guess who got the brunt of the satanic panic in the 80s? So yeah. Um, I, I love that uh, kind of subtext here in the film, and I rarely hear anybody talk about it. And it seems like it's right there in the forefront, especially with, you know, the two characters that we, for the most part, uh, you know, are most liked in the two films: Peter in Dawn, and now John and Day. What do you guys think about that? I'm, I'm uh, glad. Yeah, I, I, it's, Go ahead, Tibu. Especially because it was the time of this especially because it was the, the time of the satanic panic. I mean, yeah, I, I, I just, I agree. And I do love the line where he's like, uh, he's proven to us that he's still the boss man. Mm-hmm. We are too big for our britches trying to figure his shit out. I'm like, oh, bro. <laughs> so again, the macro just crushing the micro uh, and the unknown of it all. That's, that's why I, 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 dig, I dig some of the ambiguity in a lot of this movie, because like, like Boston mentioned, you're thrown in. So there's a lot that's left unsaid. There's a lot left unsaid about what, what they're really trying to even accomplish there other than some, you know, read between the lines type stuff. There's a lot of ambiguity in this movie and in this movie. I mean, you could make the argument that almost any zombie movie that doesn't give you a flat out explanation as to why the, the apocalypse has started is cosmic. 
I mean, Romero's trilogy especially. I mean, you could call it Lovecraftian because, yeah, we, we understand who the villains are, but we don't understand their origin, what they want, blah, blah, blah. So I, there's I definitely you. a Lovecraft angle to this. Yeah, I love you. I love you, Mr. <laughs> Venom. You're, you're, you're speaking my fucking language, man. I am a Lovecraft um, lover. Um, I, I have, I, I am in just an absolute, I adore the man. I am constantly uh, listening to audiobooks and, uh, you know, watching videos uh, on YouTube on the man. I, despite his racism, I absolutely love his talent. And yeah, Lovecraftian cinema is some of my favorite. So yeah. Fucking A, man. Yeah, again, Travis, big cosmic horror fan. Fucking rock hard right now. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> hard. Travis, we'll give you about 28 seconds. I mean, I think that's what your wife says you need if you need to go and take care of yourself. So, but <laughs> to, to, I mean, add to what you guys are saying, I, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Venom, because we, we do have a good time with, with the last you know, few episodes through the series, you know, talking about the, the whole social commentary, but also the themes and, and the interpretations with this. And, and you're right. I mean, this can, just like all of his movies, uh, it can be taken so many different ways, but yeah, I mean, this, this one is, you know, there, there's some that's on the nose. There's, there's some that's, that's a little bit more, you know, kind of, you know, taking a couple layers up to kind of figure out or, or filters to see what, what you're really seeing. But yeah, I mean, military for sure is a big one at this time uh, as well too. I mean, you've got, like you said, you've, you've got the, the, the power struggle between the military. Um, you know, I've, I've heard people comparing, um, the, the, the scientists to one group, the military to another group as well. So there's, there's a lot going on uh, for sure. And, and they don't try to shy away from, well, I mean, when you have characters as bold as, as uh, 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 Rhodes, for example, um, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's fun to, like you said, you watch the movie a hundred times, you, you, you can, your brain's going to go in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, I'm always called pretzel brain because you, you start getting too deep into a fucking wormhole and you're like, oh, Christ. Exactly. Oh, I mean, with watching this for, you know, 36 years now at this point, I mean, I, I see a lot of social commentary even in the zombie wrangling scene. Um, there's there's elements of classism there. There's elements of the slave trade, the image of the zombie on the pole from their collar, very reminiscent of like the slave auctions in the 1800s. I mean, and you know, I will fully admit uh, folks, I am a minority, I am a Spaniard. So I tend to see social commentary a lot more. I mean, to me, King Kong is pretty much completely about slavery, but that's a discussion for another show. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I'm watching- Podcast, the, the creature comforts, right? There you go, yeah. I'll play on, wasn't it? What's it? You, yeah, actually we did. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, last night when I was watching this and I, and that scene or two nights ago, whatever it was, and that scene comes through like instantly the image of, uh, you know, a slave owner and a slave, you know, the slave on the collar being dragged by a chain. In this case, it's a pole. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's the obvious uh, commentary in these movies, you know, consumerism and Dawn of the Dead, things like that. But then there's that really heavily buried commentary that 
it might not even be intentional. Like, like Romero has famously said he hates that his movies are so overanalyzed. You know, he, he constantly says that Night of the Living Dead was not a statement about race relations. You know, Dwayne Jones just gave the best uh, audition for the role. So he got the role. It had nothing to do with the color of his skin. And, you know, you can kind of see the same thing with all of his zombie movies. There's the obvious subtext and then the more buried subtext. And yeah, we could spend... 40, 50, 60 years watching these movies and still pulling more subtext out of it. And, and that's just one of the joys of continuously watching these films for me. Right. You're right. Because I mean, it's, it's a product of his time because we have night of living dead in 68. There is a lot of shit going on in 68 race <laughs> relation wise. You've got consumerism in, you know, I mean, the late seventies is really when it started, uh, you know, especially with the first shopping mall. So, I mean, he, maybe he, you know, I, I don't know that I'm the on, on the side that he didn't try to do any of it. I do think that he was being a little cheeky with, with some things. But um, but it, it's also just very convenient, too, with when they came out. Um, mm-hmm. so, but, yeah. I mean, they're all products of their time, all three of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. For sure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll reel this back in here because we're, we're, we're getting towards, uh, I guess, the, the meat and potatoes as far as what's kind of happening and what's going on because – at this point in the movie, it's, it's, it's doing a really good job as far as outlining the, I guess, the breakdown between all the characters. Rhodes has come, he, I mean, he's up front in our face, and, and we know that we're, we're, we're getting near the tipping point here. Uh, there, there's a lot going on. He's basically, he's like, you better show me, excuse me some fucking progress and whatever. So at, at this point, we're, we're and, and I will say that, the biggest problem I had this with this movie when I saw it back, you know, when I was a kid and I'm 37 now. So I saw it, you know, back in the, the early to mid nineties kind of thing, Bub, I call me a traditionalist, but I really started to lose it with Bub because I'm like, after I'd seen night of living dead a hundred fucking times and, and, and day of the dead a hundred times, I'm like, what's going on here? I was like, reading the back of the cover that wait george romero like he wrote this too like no no the zombies aren't supposed to fucking talk they're not so that's that's where i started to have my problems with this um and, and we're getting introduced to bub now so bub knows what a razor is um he, he knows what a book is he he loves rocking out to <laughs> whatever that that song is that they're playing um Flight but, of yeah. the Valkyries. What is it? Flight of the or something of the Valkyries, I believe. It's, yeah. it's Vivaldi, I believe. Yeah, I was gonna say, everyone's heard it. Like you might yeah. look or hear the name, you're like, no, that ain't right. But it's yeah. instantly recognizable. But not everyone knows the name, including myself. <laughs> you're right, you're right. So, but Bob, I mean, yeah, this, we're really getting involved. Sorry, Tibu. He's a sal- he's a saluting ass, gun aiming, cocking, and shooting motherfucker. Yep. Because he tries to, he tries to kill Rhodes. Yeah, I love that too. That he instantly recognizes before Rhodes even pulls his gun out, yeah. he instantly recognizes that I don't like that guy. He yeah. may not know why, but he instantly recognizes it. That's a set. That's humanity. There's still humanity there, and so Logan was right to an extent, yeah. but obviously he got a little overblown with his ideas. Yeah, yeah. So they're, we're yeah we're we're. I would say Bub is is synonymous to this movie is is I mean peanut butter and jelly. Uh, when you think about Day of the Dead, it's it's Bub. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have an interesting conversation next show about Land of the Dead. Mr. T, I'll tell you that right now. Big I, Daddy. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of Big Daddy, so... <laughs> but you know what, Tibu? I'm going to go off on a little side tangent here. Big Daddy looks a lot like uh, Barry Wood, our our friend of the show. Oh, oh, does he? Yeah, he kind of does, doesn't he? I'll, uh, I'll, a... fill, I'll fill you in post show, uh, uh, Mr. Venom. So, but <laughs> that's, anyway, that's, so that's funny. We'll we'll reel this in here, but Bob, we we meet Bob. This is his his revelation. His um. You know, this is supposed to knock my fucking socks off, Frankenstein. And he's not impressed, which doesn't really make sense. Because, I mean, if you think about it, they'd been in this apocalypse for how many years now? And they've got a zombie that's not trying to eat somebody. He's not he, – he knows what a razor is. He knows what Salem's lot is or a <laughs> book at least. And he salutes an officer. He's like, he must have been in the military. So, at first, you're almost wondering if, if – um, at this point, Rhodes has his own kind of plan set in place, and it doesn't really matter what they come up with unless there's like this magic pill that turns him into humans again. It's almost like he's set in his ways, and he's like, I've got a plan set. doesn't matter what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely, he, he definitely has tunnel vision when it comes to his ideas of what he's trying to do in the lab. He's not impressed. He's, yeah, sh- shit's going down. I, th- I think at this point is really – when um i mean is this when um they they take their guns i mean are we are we at that point yet i I think we're i think we're getting towards the end of the movie as far as what's going on well i you get introduced to bub you have like a sort of zombie and this one zombie escapes uh where I think, I think it's Miguel's fault, right? And two soldiers in the killed. You're right. Um, we we did we did miss that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, it's not Miguel's fault. The the like, collar ripped. The collar ripped off. Yeah. Right. The, the first I mean, obviously, he's going to get blamed. So you yep. know, that's expected. Yeah. You get this crazy amputation scene because Miguel was bitten, and um, uh, some other guy gets his fingers bitten off. I believe in this scene. So yeah, we're ramping up towards the end because the end of this movie is an absolute fucking bluff, bro. This is when the zombies fucking, they just go hard in the fucking paint. Sarah and McDermott figure out that Logan's been using some of the soldiers as test subjects or whatever. Including and I believe it's like Rhodes and his men. Yep. Including the major, you find that earlier in the film, but yeah, you find that earlier. And early. but they, they, wrote, they find some of them in the in, in like a freezer or something like that, right? Yeah, that's at the end. That's that's, at that's end. what causes. We we do start thinning out the soldiers at this point too, because when the mm-hmm. collar rips off, the one that gets it first is uh, Nicotero Johnson. So Johnson, but Greg Nicotero gets his throat ripped out, and he's like, Rah! he shoots that other guy. <laughs> I don't think has a single line of dialogue in the in the whole movie. <laughs> but he gets shot, and you're like, oh, fuck. So they're really starting to thin the soldiers out. Y- yeah, it, it, that amputation scene was was pretty cool. I, I, that was that was pretty well. I mean, dude, I, I remember <laughs> she, she fucking hacked him, and she's sitting there like, 
you know, if you pull like a fucking stick of butter out of the fridge and you're like, oh, come on, you motherfucker, trying to cut that in half. She pushes down on it. That's what she was trying to do. It's so, like, dummy. What are you doing? It's stupid. And I even love the way they made that effect. Um, Because they originally were just going to use a solid rubber arm. But every time Sarah would come down with the machete, the machete would bounce back up. So what they did was they cut a little wedge in the rubber arm and filled it with wax. So she's actually hitting the wax kind of, you know, gully there, if you will. That's why it's sticking in there. And what a spectacular choice because that, that first hit when the machete goes in the arm is very visceral. I mean, you would swear she's trying to chop some, a real person's arm off. It's, it's incredibly well done. I've only yeah. had to amputate a couple limbs in my days, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure you put the fucking tourniquet on first. I'm no oh, doctor. yeah. Make sure you uh, put the tourniquet on first. Yeah, in her defense, I mean, she was trying to get to um, the, you know, get yeah. the arm off before the virus took effect. So, I mean, I, 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 you're right. Tourniquet first, then chop. But, you know, the situation was stressful. You're right, so. yeah. It, it's your it's <laughs> time to get that. Yeah, because, I mean, if we haven't said already um, – Miguel gets bit, so she's like mm-hmm. tracking him down, and he's he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. <laughs> get out of him! Hey, he deserved that though. She fucking beat the shit out of him twice with the rock. I'm like, well, you slapped her twice, so you, fuck you. You get that? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So that was that was that was that was done pretty well. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and then they they, they uh, cauterized it. With, uh, <laughs> Another epic so, effect. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that have a smell great. Mm. So, <laughs> But yeah, this is Travis. This is what you were saying. Uh, this is yeah when the shit goes down because you know they're they're basically hunting down Miguel, and and they go back to the Ritz, <laughs> the real the Oasis. <laughs> yeah, well, McDermott and Sarah find out that fucking Logan's feeding entrails of the dead soldiers to Bub and and shit. Yeah, it's when his Rhodes, reward. Yeah, it's his reward for being a good boy. Mm. When Rhodes finds this out. This part crushed me. It's lights out immediately for Logan, man. He's gone crazy at this point. It's full blown. He's gone crazy. But um, they light his ass up like it's fucking Scarface or something. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Logan was well aware that if they ever found that, that he was dead instantly. I'm actually surprised he didn't do a better job of hiding those bodies. Maybe put them in the back of that room, you know, so that they wouldn't be plainly seen as soon as the door opens. But again, you know, I'm speculating. I think he did have keys and had them locked too. So, but you Mm -hmm. know, one thing too, something I saw or read or whatnot, but, um, we never saw Logan's body turn to a zombie. Did they, did I read something that at this point, the virus has, has, cause I think if you got, if you died naturally, you, yeah, before this, you died naturally, you turned into a zombie. Uh, I think they may have said, or it's insinuated that at this point, the virus has died. It's not airborne or whatever anymore. It's only hmm. by bites. Did you guys yeah. the movie? I did not catch that, but I'm not going to deny it was in there or at least implied. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I, and it might be a theory as well too, but mm-hmm. I mean, we never saw Logan come back, which is, is weird in a movie like this because typically, I mean, he was shot with bullets and, and yeah. And they left the cooler door open cause Bub finds them later. So yeah, but, there's no reason he shouldn't have gotten up because they didn't close any fucking doors. Like, Hey, there's zombies all over <laughs> We're running through hell we're not just like my fucking kids let's leave all the doors open yeah. 
Why close doors? <laughs> yeah, right. uh, th- this is when they strip them of the guns. They, um, mm-hmm. they, 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 they lock uh, McDermott and Sarah up in the zombie corral. They start beating the fucking shit out of John. Like, you need to fly a solid here, like out of here. And he's like, I can't take you in my worldly bird. Like, he, he, he don't want to do it. So yeah, they blow uh, Rhodes. I mean, because up to this point, you think that Rhodes doesn't have it, have him, have it in him because he's having Steel do his dirty work. You know, Steel shoot her, Steel beat him up, but then he fucking blows Fisher's brains out just unceremoniously too. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just nope, you're dead. Bye. Yep. Bye, Fisher. <laughs> At uh, least Fisher's not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever Bub fucking escapes, he sees, yeah, like you said, he sees Logan's corpse and he's sad. He's, mm-hmm. he's legit sad. That's what he's I mean. Uh, that, that That's gun. the ultimate sadness of this movie is that Logan, that's what Logan was looking for. Logan's aha moment was to make a zombie care about humanity. He needed to convince zombies that we are not food. We are friends or, you know, whatever, we're the same. But he got his moment after he died and the last few times I've, I've seen this, that scene hits me a lot harder because it, not necessarily just for Bub. Yeah. It's sad that Bub is affected by this, but just the fact that Logan has been working for however many years to get this result and he finally gets it, but it's too late. It doesn't matter. Ah, heavy. You know what? I did not really, that's, that's pretty insightful. I didn't really catch wow. it. No, I mean, cause I mean, yeah. what zombie would cry for a human dying? Right, it, you know, it almost doesn't make sense, but obviously, with the relationship that Bub and Logan had, and obviously, you know, that was kind of the goal that Logan was going for to get them to not eat us. It sucks that he's gone and he got what he wanted, but now it doesn't matter. Now Bub is going to be the only zombie that doesn't eat people. <laughs> yeah. After after this, this is when Miguel is the ultimate fucking bitch. Oh, and Miguel, he fucking runs out. Let's all the zombies in, opens the fucking underground bunker gate that allows zombies to just start pouring into this fucking place. So now you know the goose is cooked, as they say. Um, uh, John gets away from, from the people whooping his ass, and he saves uh, McDermott and Sarah. They're trying to get the fuck out of there. Uh, this, what, where, where is it? I'm trying to remember. Where is it right here? And maybe I'm jumping ahead where the guy starts getting his head ripped off. Uh, it's right around here because he's the f- he's the first uh, of the three major ones of of you know um, Steel Rhodes and um, well that's not Rickles. Rickles is already dead at this point. I- I'm not even sure if that character had a name, but yeah, he kind of started the chain of all the military guys getting torn apart. Uh, the head rip was first, yeah. So so I, I want to pose a question to you guys here as far as what do you think the character motivation was for miguel doing what he did what's your guys interpretation of that he's spiteful and he's he's an asshole kind of it's just one of those if i'm gonna die i'm taking everybody with me type things i mean that's my guess i miguel is a weird complex character you know like i said we get no character development so it's kind of hard to pinpoint it's really all we can do is speculate but i I, that's kind of where i'm going I mean, obviously, he doesn't want to live without an arm. You know, he, he's, he's obviously already cracked. He probably yep. sees his own mortality right in front of him anyway. So, yeah, he's just, fuck it. If I'm going to go, I'm taking all these assholes with me. Because ultimately, no one liked Miguel. Everybody other than Sarah 
everybody had an issue with Miguel. So it makes sense that he would just be like, yeah, screw you all. See, it, in this scene... Go ahead, Tibu. What, what, what the guy, I just wanted to say, with the guy that gets his head slowly ripped off, mm. the, sound, the sound of the vocal cords... <sighs> that shit that, haunted me for weeks yeah, after that. That, to me, is as cool as the Rhodes death is, and I know the, the Rhodes death is like the coup de grace of this whole thing, to me, the head rip is the most effective kill in this scene. And it's, be excuse me, in this film. And it is because of the sound design. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it would sound like for someone to get their head ripped off, but something about this makes me feel like this is the closest thing we're going to get in a film, and it's fucking disturbing. I've heard what it sounds like. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> back in the day, back in the, oh, I'm going to tell you, back in the day, I used to visit those fucked up websites where you could see fucked up videos of real fucked up shit. Rotten.com, Dan's Gallery of the Grotesque, uh, gore, bestgore.com. Oh, my friend, I frequented all of them. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's been, it's been a long time because, and this is actually why one of the last videos I ever saw, I forget who it was, but it was like, like Romanians and Czechs or somebody. The description of the video was that they were – uh, cutting a guy's head off while they were doing it in whatever foreign language it is that I don't speak. They're just having a casual conversation while they slowly cut through this guy's neck. <laughs> it doesn't sound quite as metallic as, as the, the, the version in the film of someone's mm -hmm. head getting pulled off, but the guy is screaming and you hear the shrillness in his voice as it happens. And that's one of the last that I was like, oh, what am I doing to my brain right now, man? You're right. I, is... I, I remember in like sixth grade resource center, because I lived outside of town, our bus picked us up at 6 a.m. and dropped us off at like fucking 6.30. So we had an hour in what was called the resource center, those big old egg lap, you know, fucking Mac. We go on the internet and you're right. We, until they figured it out, we watch a handful of those and you're right. Well, what the fuck am I watching? I gotta be, yep. Yeah, so I saw a handful of those and I was like, I, I don't think I should be doing this anymore. I think we all have no. a, a kind of a, a slight unhealthy obsession with death. Obsession might be the wrong word, but curiosity. Yeah, Let's go with morbid, that. It's morbid curiosity. Thank is what you. It is. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, yep. it's the, again, it's the unknown and we try to get as close to it as we can. And what's the closest it's actual death. So when you, when you don't know what's on the other side, but you, you see, or you seek out seeing, someone else experiencing and in, in, in a lot of these cases with these websites uh i don't know i don't even know if they still exist because i don't know how the internet's not the wild west Dude, it used if to be if i see fucking e-bombs world shit on facebook still i'm sure those other sites still exist in some form um of the ones that i listed bestgore.com is the only one that still exists well there you go i mean things come and go but yeah, I, I would say it's a morbid curiosity, and I'm curious about this morbidity, if that's a word. Um, Bub, Bub eventually comes across Rhodes, right? And well, earlier, on, Bub, wanna, I, I, I want to. I didn't get a chance to chime in real quick with that whole Miguel deal, and you never um, will. So, <laughs> Rhodes, <laughs> no, <laughs> go ahead. I, I I agree with you guys. I just wanted to chime in real quick. Part of me, I mean, call me a hopeless sap. Part of me is, is like, well, maybe this is kind of his arc. 
and he knows they're coming for him. He knows they're coming for his friends. He goes up, you know, he goes, unlocks the fence and lays down and sacrifices himself and lets all the zombies in to try to kind of distract the military and let his friends go. Again, call me a hopeless romantic. Um, but, but, but that's kind of where in the back of my head, I'm like, well, maybe he's trying to help. Wow. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's actually a positive slant on, on, cause he does give himself up to them. They, they tear him apart. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, I it's know. possible. I, <laughs> I've had a terrible opinion of Miguel for 36 years, so yeah. it would be hard to change <laughs> that now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm open to it. I'm definitely open to it. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, we, we get, I would say we're, we're, I mean, we're triple teamed here. I mean, we, we got Barry Wood coming at us with three fantastic killers. <laughs> we get the head. <laughs> we, get, we get the head pull. Uh, we get Rickles. I think Rickles had the eye gouge. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, I love – I don't think that we've given Rickles enough screen time or, or ear time or whatever the fuck you call it on this because that his, – his jokes, it's, it's one of those like – he is like the first edition of dad jokes that are so bad and he laughs so hard to himself, but his laugh, I just, I love it. Like, I think that Rickles and steel are the dumbest characters ever. And, and part of me <laughs> written so bad, but part of me is like, I love them and cannot imagine this movie without them. The, oh, the totally. Banter they have going back and forth just, yeah. Cause I mean, if we, again, to harken back, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sorry I'm blabbing, but I'm giving Rickles a couple minutes of, of, of fame here. No, I mean, honestly, I, I, I can't really say a lot of bad things about someone who dies laughing. <laughs> Ultimately, he was very aware that that was it, and he's yeah. still laughing. Kudos yeah. to you, my friend. Yeah, that motherfucker was like a hyena the whole movie. Yes. Laughing at it, yep. so he's like I a mean, frat boy he, going yeah. wild. Maybe, maybe where this is where where you know Roger Ebert had one thumb up his butt and the other one writing this thing. Well, they were overacting, blah blah blah. But hey, if there's one thing Rickles was, it was consistent. So, <laughs> well, on this show, I do sometimes defend Ebert uh, here and there. On on this note, I'm gonna say Ebert's full of his, full of his own farts, and he needs to he doesn't need to do anything anymore. R.I.P. But, I mean, ultimately, he probably wasn't aware that a lot of these actors are theatrical actors. He's probably not aware that Romero gave them the instruction to be active and, and to actually project more than they normally would. So without that information, you know, he's just going to judge it based on what he's seeing. But, you know, maybe if he was still around today, he might have a different opinion about it. Who knows? I would hope so. Bub, Bub is walking around with this gun he comes across Rhodes who he, he had saluted earlier did we mention still shoots himself in the face in the head no, we didn't we didn't talk about the steel death and we also didn't talk about Apollo Creed going through the tunnels because this was before because I remember watching Apollo Creed go through the tunnels in pitch black doing like the dirty hairy long mm-hmm. and sniping yeah. I thought it was hilarious because you got a flyboy going with Rhodes 44 Magnums, which, yeah, we didn't talk about. He got away from, from them. He tackled them and could have killed mm-hmm. them, but he's, you know, he's a good guy. So he's running through these tunnels trying to find um, uh, Mr. Bean and, and Sarah. And 
he's going through just one hot one shot headshotting all these zombies and then you got these military guys that are just going you know straight up like chuck norris 1980s like hip firing and i was like oh that's 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 just hilarious right there you yeah. get the nerdy helicopter pilot that's just a ace shot yeah it's really odd that these guys have uh, you know this whole group of people have lived in this zombie apocalypse for however long it's been and they still don't understand kill the brain shoot him in the head there's no reason to waste half a clip shooting these people in the belly it doesn't make sense but they still do it. So what are you going to do? Lose mind. One other thing too, I thought was hilarious. And, and again, to, to Venom's credit, you watch these movies a bajillion times and you're going to see things and find things like this. <laughs> but at the end of the movie, you, you've got Miguel and he's letting all these zombies in. And I'm seeing like, there's wedding zombies. Male oh yeah. Wedding dress. There's clown zombies. greaser zombies there's greaser there's football zombies i'm just picturing like hey we're 20 years past the zombie apocalypse but we're gonna throw a football game on (laughs) we're gonna play (laughs) zombie apocalypse and i'm gonna get eaten and come after you and same thing with like the wedding and the yeah can you imagine you're you're at like you know middle of a zombie apocalypse and like well let's let's hire bill to dress up as a clown and then bill gets fucking eaten and he's a forever a clown zombie (sighs) I don't know. I just had some weird shit going through my brain. It kind of cracked me up a little bit. Imagine, <laughs> imagine a movie where a bunch of people go to like a Halloween costume party and become zombies. So they all look like different things from different films, but they're all zombies underneath. That'd be kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. I could see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right with that. <laughs> well, speak, speaking of uh, unloading clips into bellies. After all that, yeah, still shoots himself because he gets bitten, and that's his unceremonious death. We, 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 yeah, we that is a yeah. I I, I did want to point out though that despite the how you feel about Steel, I mean, obviously he's a hateable character. He's Rhodes number two. We're not real fond of him. Um, that he, that scene is still really heavy. The fact that he does the the sign of the cross and oh. then puts the that is a I, I hate Steel as a character. I I, I love the performance. So get me wrong, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Steel yeah. as a character, obviously, I'm not a real right. I'm not real fond of. But that that scene, especially on this last watch, actually struck me as really heavy. You know, I, I, it's I something about the too. sign of the cross because we have no idea that he's religious throughout the whole movie, and then suddenly he does the sign of the cross, which obviously means more to some people than others. It doesn't mean shit to me, but whatever. Um, I, I just found it like. It's almost, I don't want to say it was a moment of redemption, but it was kind of a little moment of, of like him making peace with his God, um, which for whatever it's worth makes him human. So I got to say know. too, like earlier, he was reluctant, very reluctant down to the second and didn't shoot Sarah. So mm-hmm. he's got humanity in there underneath his facade you're, of this. Right. That's- that's a, I was I was almost going to interrupt you when Venom was done saying that, but you're right. There are a couple snippets where you are. I mean, if you think about it, Steel might be the most fucking level-headed person in this whole movie, because of of of. Well, I mean, outside of like maybe Sarah and and Sarah, I, I, I'm talking the and the John. military guys, the military. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he might be the most level-headed because you're right. Uh, you know what venom just brought up at the very end and with him you know he's got that that type of personality but i think that he's kind of like a like a chameleon where he's just gonna 
you know, he, he's going to, he's going to share that personality with Rickles. And then when you've got someone like Rhodes, you know, he's going to kind of blend in with the Rhodes type, but yeah, he did shine that little light of like, I don't really want to shoot her. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's got a little well, bit of decency in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's what I'm thinking too. Mm-hmm. But we, we finally get to the big payoff. I mean, we've all been fucking like Venom said, loving the performance, hating the character goes hand in hand if you usually if you hate a character they're doing their job exactly we're gonna get bub shooting Rhodes in the hallway bub was a better shot than the fucking military guy (laughs) bub bub might have been former military he might remember how to shoot you know well i'm just saying he he gets off a shot yeah and Rhodes is palato is doing it man he is acting his ass off in this scene he is stumbling and bumbling. He's screaming. He's like just he's trying, way, but in a good way. In a great way. It's the best way of all time. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get away. The whole time he's trying to get away, though, he's yelling, Come on, come on, which I'm like, What are you doing that for? I don't get that part. But Bub is slowly making his way towards him, like trying to find him again to shoot him some more. Rhodes comes to a doorway and you get some awesome cinematography here where the door opens up and you see Rhodes in front of all these zombies that have come into this, this facility. Such an iconic then, shot. then you get the point of view of the zombies and all the hands are reaching out towards him as he screams. Bub shoots him again, <laughs> fucking laying him to waste as the zombies rip him to pieces, dragging his fucking legs down the hall. His guts are being eaten. And that's when he's like, he, with with his dying breath, choke on him, choke on him. I'm just like, this is this is, it's visceral, it's raw, it looks real as fuck. Like Savini, my hat is off to you, maestro. Bravo, encore. He brought. But this it. is the encore. I mean, this is it. This is. I know. I, well, I I do agree with Venom too, though, that the head pulling off scene, more disturbing. This scene, I think, is more guilty pleasure. Well, I well, <laughs> that's tied into it, but I think it's a little bit more. And I'm only saying this for me. I don't know what actually is or not uh, iconic. Um, the yes. choke on him line, especially. Uh, I've heard other people say that, so I'm like, I think this is this is man, it's Rhodes. So the other yeah. guy was a rando for the most part. You don't and, talk Rickles that way. All right. Look, look, man. <laughs> And, and you do get um, – this is where uh, John, McDermott, and Sarah make their way out. They get to the helicopter, and you get one final jump scare as a zombie reaches out for Sarah as she tries to get inside the, that whirly bird. The movie, like, starts and ends with, with yep. her having, a, like, a, like, a napmare kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They, they wake up on – an island like john was saying in the previous scene because i didn't i didn't get to that part uh whenever her uh, him and sarah were having their conversation in the oasis he was like we should find an island somewhere and make babies he was <laughs> he wanted to fuck, man. want to make babies yeah i can you blame him <laughs> no no he was dtf bro yeah. and she wakes up there with them and John's fishing, McDermott is feeding seagulls, which I'm like, bro, you need to be capturing them birds and cooking that shit. Maybe that's what he's doing, like luring them in. I don't know. I'd be thinking about eating them motherfuckers, though. 
Maybe if the fishing ain't good, I don't know if seagulls might be one of the last birds. You and have, this is where the, uh, the subtext of the film and the same conversation that I mentioned before comes back in. Because what else is down there in that facility with them is all these records that uh, John mentions that they have stored there from humanity, from our timeline. And he told Sarah that they need to restart and not teach their kids any of this shit and teach them to not come looking for it. Mm-hmm. But like the calendar at the beginning of the film, what is Sarah doing right in the final scene? She's keeping days, a record. Four days have passed. Yeah. Because I mean, the beginning of the scene, it looked like all of, of October was marked off. So you're thinking it's Halloween day. It starts and she just crossed off November 4th. So mm-hmm. that's what yep. I was saying. I mean, w- when you put that into perspective, you're, you're looking at this group of people that have potentially been together for years and we're looking at the last four days of them in a complete mental breakdown. So I, for one, didn't like this ending. I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm more of a sucker for, I guess, like, I don't know. I mean, I figure I love horror movies. I, if I want to see happy ending, I'll watch one of my wife's lifetime. Oh, I, I am a hundred percent with you. Horror movies should not have happy endings, but ultimately is this really a happy ending? It's just, that's what escape. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't take this as a happy ending at all, dude. I mean, cause ultimately just like you said, you know, they're sitting there fishing. So they're going to have to rely on what coconuts and fish for pretty much the rest of their life. And, and seagulls. Once, and well, yeah, and and whatever bird happens to fly by, how long are they going to be able to live on that? I mean, it almost seems like they kind of, and and obviously they can't go anywhere else. There's no gas. They've they probably flew as far as they possibly could, whatever island off the east coast they were able to find. But I, I you know, it's hard for me to look at this as a happy ending so much as an escape. They got out. They're safe for now. But who's to say in a, a couple of weeks, zombies will figure out that they don't need to breathe underwater like they do in Land of the Dead? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me, this is a dark ending. Um, I think it's darker than Dawn of the Dead, to be honest with you. Um, for, 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 for the reasons Mr. Venom said, and because, again, Sarah is repeating history and we're doomed to make the same mistakes if you continue to repeat history. There's a lesson to be learned there where you pay attention to history and even if that's way buried in the subtext, it's still a great, it may be the greatest lesson overall. So, so here's a hot take for you both. Do you, do you know what movie did this type of ending better? The, the Donald four remake. The, the post. Oh yeah. Oh, that, that end credit scene. Absolutely. That's, that's the kind of ending you're looking for in a zombie yeah. movie. <laughs> because, because it, it left it ambiguous because you don't know. I mean, they, they get to, that desert island and there's zombies and then the camera turns off and you're like, Oh fuck, what do they do? Mm-hmm. They fight the zombies. Do they go back on the boat? That's the desert ending. I liked, but yeah, I I'm know. okay with that. It's just valid. Um, like I said, I, I'm kind of with uh, Travis on this one. I, I don't really look at dawn and day as happy endings. Um, right. Just a transition. Like I said, especially more with day because with dawn, there's more people alive in the world, you know, when they get to that Island. So the potential for rescue is higher here. I'm pretty sure they know they're there for life. There is no rescue. No one's coming to look for them unless somebody miraculously comes up with a cure or whatever. But it's like their, their options are so much more limited at the end of day than at the end of dawn. 
Sarah is just living her three-way fantasy until the end of their days <laughs> out there while the gulls are flying around. Just yeah, that's yeah. how day the dead ends. There you go. Um, and in the distance, they so, see a big lighthouse. Oh shit! And then and then you got fucking uh Willem homeboy Defoe. uh Willem Dafoe and what and Robert Pattinson's just beating the shit out of this gull, just smashing it to fucking death. <laughs> Out of spite uh, and jacking can, off to mermaid statues. You can still hear him arguing about lobster. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love the lighthouse. So fuck it. Speaking of cosmicism. Mm -hmm. Anyway. All right. I'm going to steal Boss Tuna's line. Final thoughts and, and likes and dislikes. And ratings. I am typical. Okay. I am going to go first on this one. And then I'll let Travis go. And I think we should let Mr. Venom bring us home and there's a reason for this so to to kind of carry on my or or expand on what i talked about before in that i zombies it's it's no surprise to any fan of the show zombies are my favorite genre i i, I love them i'll watch a bad zombie movie and have a good time and just like what what venom said i love all george romero movies um even even the the last like I said, we're gonna have a lot of fun when we get into talking about Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, uh, Survival of the Dead. Watching this movie again, I saw this as a kid, and it just—I had seen re the the night nineteen ninety, night sixty eight, dawn seventy eight, so many times before that I had my own, I guess you know, idea of what the zombies I like were and when I watched this one, I, you know, Bub really, I didn't like it at first. The, the craziest thing I'll say is, is that, you know, I all throughout college and, and, you know, just to kind of, I know I've said this a thousand times, but just kind of give, give Venom a little context. You know, we, my college part, uh, my, my college house was known as the zombie house. We all played football together. So we had, huge keggers there's a bunch of us living there and after a first kegger they saw my zombie collection and everybody called it the zombie house i had a huge collection of zombies so you know we'd watch all these zombie movies and like you said it's not like i hung out with 800 fucking horror movie fans i did not know people liked this movie until i started listening to podcasts i watched <laughs> it a handful of times here and there but it wasn't until probably I don't know, seven, eight years ago, six, seven years ago. It's like, man, people really like this Day of the Dead. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll give it another shot. So I started rewatching it a little bit more. Ultimately, the biggest problems I still have are like, I, I don't, the one thing I don't like about the Romero movies are him transitioning. And, and it was his, 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 his transgression, I guess, into this type of, of zombie. I mean, he, he carried it on with, with uh, Big Daddy and Land of the Dead. For me, I'm just a traditionalist and it's not my cup of tea, but this movie did up the game in, in quite a few areas. And one of them was the gore effects, the blood, the kills. I loved it. It carried on what brought me to love zombies is that helpless, hopeless feeling. That opening shot was phenomenal. The streets, shit strewn about them. The dead walk just haunting. When I watch movies, I want it to put me in in a place where I can just kind of go tunnel vision and not notice anything around me and just zone in on the TV and like, hey, I'm in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. So 
Uh, I, I'm, I'm done ranting and raving. There's a lot of things I love about this movie. I talked about it. I've got a few minor nitpicks. But to give you some context, Mr. Venom, and to draw this out a little bit longer, I'm going to give you our ratings on Night 68, Night 90, Dawn 78, Dawn 04, just to give you some context. So Night 68, both of us were at 10s. Night 1990, both of us were at 10s. Dawn 78, I was at a 10. Tibu, I believe you were at a 10 as well. Dawn 04, I was a 9.5. Tibu, I believe, was a 7.5. Yeah, and I, I do want to say, I think I was an 8.5 for Dawn 78. Oh, an 8.5? Okay. Yeah. So for Day of the Dead, I'm coming in at a 9 out of 10. I still love it. I mean, you know, I, I might have been coming off a little bit harsh, and it's because, again, it doesn't really fit my narrative. But, again, I've seen so many more zombie movies. There is a period of my life where I basically just watched, you know, Night 68, 90, and Dawn 78. I mean, there is a long – and then just the random ones in between. Um, and then I want to say the movie that really kind of opened my eyes, like, oh, there's different kind of movies, was probably 28 Days Later where I was able to, you know – I was like, hey, I can love more than one child. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm at a nine out of 10. Uh, Tibu, why don't you go ahead and then we'll have Venom carry us home. Well, to start off, I do want to disagree with the notion that this movie was the first movie to display zombie intelligence from Romero. In the first film, they were using tools. Um, in the second film, they remembered where they used to go and what they used to do and there's examples in that film of that. So I, I, I kind of don't follow that one. I think Bub is a natural progression. Um, but You're that's right. just... I just think it's just such a big jump from... Well, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, if, and if you follow it as it's 60s, 70s, 80s in the actual story timeline, if that's how you choose to look at this, these first three films, then I think the zombies had time to adapt and change to their new what existence they are mm -hmm. but that that's that's neither here nor there um i'm glad they didn't have a bigger budget i like the fact that that the movie is actually an isolated uh piece in the underground bunker um i i like that it's not like dawn of the dead where it's all over the place that it, it, it's all well the mall takes the majority of the film mm -hmm. i guess but you still get a lot outside of it um this movie, I like that it's all in the bunker. Un unlike y'all's first time watches, I immediately loved this movie the first time I saw it. But I was older and I had seen a lot of other films to begin with. So I think maybe by the time I saw this movie, maybe saw it for what it was, both the silly overacting, but how that actually helped the story, which the story is key. And this story is the best story of the first three films, in my opinion. I think it has the best characters and performances out of the first three films in Romero's trilogy. I'm coming in with a 10 out of 10 for this movie. I love this movie to, to say it's up there with my favorite zombie movies. It, it would be an understatement. It might be the best. I don't know. I'd have to really think about that, but I think this is one of the best horror movies maybe ever made. And, and, and I've said, I've said this on the show before too. But to, to tell Mr. Venom, I'm not uh, the zombie, big zombie fan. But I do think zombie, the sub, zombie subgenre has some of the best horror movies in it. 
so and to me day of the dead is is one it ranks up there with some of the best horror movies ever made uh i love this movie it's a 10 out of 10 for me uh every every rewatch i get more out of it i love the love the characters i love the story i love the fucking gore man the gore is top notch to this day there's nothing that comes close it's like fucking real and brilliant and it's the darkest of the the first three in my opinion again um so yeah that's 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 where i'll leave it i mean for me i can't really disagree with anything that's been said though i will fully admit i'm going to be a little bit harsher on this one uh because i lived through the majority of the romero trilogy and actually seeing them fairly new i i, I saw night in 79 uh, and then saw Dawn pretty much right away, uh, right after that. And those just, they left such an indelible impression on me and who I am. Um, zombies may not be my favorite subgenre, but it's easily a top three. Uh, I'm a big supernatural guy, and I, I already mentioned Lovecrafty and stuff. So, um, but I do adore zombie films. Romero, uh, ultimately Night of the Living Dead is the first film that really affected me as a viewer. Like I lost sleep that night um, and it was specifically uh, Cooper's wife getting killed in the basement, that high-pitched screech. I heard that in my fucking dreams for like multiple days after seeing that movie. Mind you, I was nine years old. So yeah, maybe I shouldn't have seen Night of the Living Dead at nine, but you know, it, it kind of shaped who I am today. So as far as Day of the Dead goes, I mean, while I think that Romero's, um, that this in, uh, installment in the zombie trilogy isn't quite as thematically strong as Night or Dawn, uh, I agree with Travis. It's easily the darkest entry in the trilogy. It's the most pessimistic, the most nihil uh, nihilistic, um, really, not just of Romero's films, but of 80s cinema in general. I mean, it, it's it's such a dark way to walk out of the theater. Yeah. I mean, three people survive, but three people out of all of humanity, is that happy? Mm, you, you can make the argument that it's not, but like I said, um, this may not be my favorite in the franchise, um, but it's still very memorable. It has some amazing characters with some incredibly quotable lines, which we've said multiple times tonight. Um, it features easily some of the most memorable zombies in the trilogy. Maybe next to the original zombie in Night of the Living Dead, um, you know, Dr. Tongue, uh, Bub, obviously there, there are some amazing, and even the zombie acting is of high quality here. You know, this is some of the best zombie acting. Like if you go back to Dawn, even though I give Dawn a 10 out of 10, uh, more for its themes, its subtext, things like that, you can still see the zombie acting maybe isn't quite on point. And Day of the Dead is the movie that actually nailed it. Um, it's claustrophobic, it's moody, it's harsh. Um, there are some amazing tension throughout. I mean, I, I, I hate using cliches, but ultimately tension that you can cut with a knife. I mean, it's valid here. Um, we've got, you know, uh, the, the, the creation of Bub, which I'm, I'm kind of more with Travis on this one, that I feel like this is a normal progression of these zombies. Because ultimately, uh, don't forget, Dr. Logan doesn't teach uh, Bub anything. Bub remembers, he remembers reading books, he remembers listening to music. Like if the doctor tried to teach him how to cook or how to play piano, something that human Bub never did, it would have been an absolute failure. So I feel like that memory retention um, was definitely explored here more than in any of the Romero films. So yeah, I mean, 
ultimately this is essential viewing. All three of the original Romero zombie trilogy uh, is absolute essential viewing. Um, as far as my rating goes, I'm going to come in at just a tick lower than Dawn and Day. Like I said, those movies are just thematically stronger to me, but I'm still coming in with a 9 out of 10 for Day. Absolute must watch. I mean, if, if, if you claim to be a horror fan and you haven't seen the Romero trilogy, what exactly are you doing with your life? So yeah, run out there and watch these movies, please. Hell yeah. <laughs> Well said, well said, boys. Um, yeah, uh, before I let you go, Venom, there's a couple things for you and that I got real quick here. So, please. The first one is we've been asking all of our co hosts, are you team basement or team board up the house in Night of Living Dead? That is such an unfair question. <laughs> because, listen, Ben's. Um, mentality was correct. You want to have multiple exits when you, you know, when you're surrounded by zombies. But ultimately, when it was all said and done, Cooper was right. And that's a terrible thing to have to live with that the most hated character in that fucking movie was correct. But ultimately, he was right. So it's one of those things that, like I said, mentally, I agree with Ben. I think boarding up the house is the better decision, multiple exits, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, hindsight is twenty twenty, and ultimately the basement worked or the cellar, well, whatever I'd you want to go. I'd with. be fucking Captain Hindsight. You'd be with me, but I'd convince you to come down with me into the basement. We'd be all right at the end of this shit. Cole Potentially, I mean, no. I, I think it depends. It also, I mean, there's a lot of variables involved, obviously, too. Like if I was with someone, like Mr. Cooper has his wife with him and a daughter for that matter, he's responsible for more people than himself. So that's yeah. why he's thinking, let's get in, let's just get into the cellar and not even attempt to board up this house because I don't want to risk my wife and my daughter's life. So in that sense, Cooper is honorable. I'll give him credit for that. But he is just too rigid in his decision-making. And like I said, the, the fact that he wanted to just be the leader, get the gun away from Ben, all of that makes him incredibly hateable. But yeah, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty, and ultimately Ben survived the night because of the cellar. Um, so what are you going to do? It, uh, I, I hate to agree with Cooper, but I, I, I kind of have to at this point. It sucks. <laughs> Tibu uh, himself was also team basement, and, and I'm sorry, but you got that answer, uh, that question wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But no, I, I've been given my two cents. So, so all I'll say is, is I'll, I'll sum this up in like 30 seconds. Tactically, you never, you never, like you said, you, you admitted it. You never put yourself in a corner. Exactly. I, for, for me, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, the, the, the joke was, I mentioned this on a couple of shows ago, my buddies and I would have like arguments that would lead into drunken fist fights about this kind of shit. <laughs> but you, you board up the <laughs> house, but Knowing ahead of time that shit could go down, you plan on going up stairs. So you have that's thirty seconds, motherfucker. Stairs. What's that? That's thirty seconds, motherfucker. <laughs> well, it, it's twenty seconds, and you interrupted me. You plan <laughs> on you have food up there. You have all the shit planned to push down the yeah. steps, the armoires, the dressers. Uh, you board up the main front of the house. If you lose that, you go upstairs. Throw the shit down the stairs, slow them down. Worst case scenario, you lock yourself in a bedroom. Just like 28 weeks later, 
You go yeah. into the bedroom that you can jump out of, and boom, you got yourself an exit. Lock yourself in the basement, you're dead. Let's just hope the zombies don't learn how to start a fire. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Oh, um, shit. They start kindling. They're fucking vigorously rubbing wood downstairs, like, <laughs> waiting for you to fucking burn so they can eat your roasted ass flesh. You mentioned Marilyn Eastman or, or, or Mrs. Cooper, and I have to say, mm-hmm. she had just recently passed in August 22nd. So we'll, we'll, we'll give her a little RIP on this. So it's, it's, RIP. Yeah, Absolutely. It's great, right in the middle of our series here. The last thing I had for you, uh, Mr. Venom, is you should have pushed harder for Train to Busan. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, if I was on that, I, I wasn't actually on 2016, but let me tell you something. If I was on 2016, okay. there was no fucking way okay. that movie does not get on there. Must have the round table I heard you on then. Yes, I was on the round table. Yeah. I, I, I was vocal Uh-oh. about it. I, I don't understand how you can have a, a list of the greatest horror films of the 2010s and not have potentially the greatest zombie movie of the last 25 years yeah. on it. So I, I, I said my piece, but I, I assure you, if I was on the 2016 yeah. episode, there was no way that movie wasn't going through. I, I would have thrown hands. Yeah. Yeah. Train to Busan has its come in y'all's mouths. There you go. Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 I'm cupping the balls. I don't care. <laughs> For those of you wondering what the hell we're talking about, check out uh, the podcast under the stairs. Uh, you'll hear Duncan in a couple episodes. Actually, next, is it next episode, Tibu? You'll, yeah, uh, yes. Next yeah. episode, you're going to be hearing Duncan talk about Land of the Dead. So, nice. and you better believe we will be having some conversation. Oh yeah, don't let him get off easy. F that. No, no, no. <laughs> F that. I'm going to bring him up to the blue ball point and not let him get off. I'm just going to keep Beautiful. bring him right there. So he deserves it, and you can yeah. tell him I said that. <laughs> no, yeah. For those what's going on, check out uh, the podcast under the stairs summer series. Um, wondering what it is so uh hey i want to say this was awesome this is fantastic these th- this show went better than i had imagined and i had a great time talking about it i want to thank you for coming on you're 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 a fantastic podcaster you've got some awesome stuff tell us pimp your wares man where where can our listeners come and find you Cool. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for having me. This was, this was an absolute blast. I, I don't, uh, my Wednesday nights are usually pretty dull. So this was awesome. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> as far as where you can find me, I'll try to make it as quick as possible because this tends to take a while sometimes. My main, my main show, No More Room in Hell, a bi-monthly podcast with Mike Merriman and Derek B. Our latest episode is episode 37, where we look at two 70s UK films. We look at 1972's The Tower of Evil and 1974's Frightmare. Um, So check that out on our next episode, which actually records this weekend. We're going to be looking at Plague of the Zombies and the Serpent and the Rainbow. So we're we're doing some voodoo shit for the next episode. Um, And then the sidecasts for No More Room in Hell include Fresh Cuts, which is a weekly podcast where we look at the newest releases on our latest episode. We looked at the latest uh, holiday release on Amazon Prime from director Gigi Saul Guerrero. Uh, That movie is called Bingo Hell. So check out that episode to see what we thought of it. And then the newest sidecast to No More Room in Hell is, as we've mentioned multiple times, Creature Feature, uh, Creature Comforts, 
excuse me, um, which is a podcast that, of course, uh, concentrates on creature uh, features. On episode one, we look at 1933's King Kong. We go, you know, we, we try to go in depth on a lot of that social commentary, uh, which I kind of briefly mentioned here. Um, all of those are available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, darkdiscussions.com. You can also hear me on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space with Mr. Jerry Herring, uh, Don and Ellie, and once again, Mr. Derek B., where we look at kaiju films exclusively. We do a Godzilla film every other episode, and then we'll just throw in like a random kaiju film in between. Our latest episode, which we actually did record an episode this week. You mentioned uh, that we haven't been around for a while. It's true. Uh, this might only be our first episode of 2021, unfortunately. But yeah, we finally did get together. We looked at Gamera versus Baragon and continued our episodic um, retrospective of the original Ultraman series with episode number 23 which i believe was called underwater science center so check that out that is available on the legion podcast network on in the mic of madness which is one of my shows that's been on hiatus for a few months that's another one that's going to be coming back this month uh the luck the lovely rebecca reinhardt has been um she's kind of a jack of all trades in indie horror she's a director um an editor she she does catering uh she's an actress i mean she does so much for the indie horror scene uh, she just got off her final, her latest production, which was called Tin Roof, which she directed and edited. So, so she's back. We're finally back to doing episodes after about nine months off. Uh, we're not 100% sure what we're going to be looking at, but we will be doing a Halloween episode. Once again, Dark Discussions Podcast Network on It's Not Horror Okay. That is a comedy uh, movie commentary podcast that I do, where as the title implies, we do not look at horror movies. But because we don't look at horror movies, we decided to take the month of October off. It makes sense. So uh, our last episode was at the end of September. We looked at 1986's Thunder Run. Uh, anybody who doesn't know anything about that show, we tend to bring like really obscure, odd movies to the table. You know, you're not like likely going to see like Die Hard and stuff like that on this show. But, it, you know, if you're looking for, you know, something like, uh, I don't know, uh, Deadly Prey, which is probably one of the worst action movies I've ever seen, then we're the show for you. So check that out. Um, and then I've got multiple guest spots. Uh, I just did an episode on the Jacked Up Review show where we looked at our favorite Mystery Science Theater and Riff Tracks episode, had a lively discussion about that. I am a huge Mystery Science Theater fan. So yeah, I, I'm Fuck one of those yes. nerds. <laughs> um, yes. And that was the first time I ever actually, in my six years of podcasting, that was the first time I've ever had the opportunity to talk about Mystery Science Theater. So very happy to be on that. That's an independent show, so you can find that on Podbean or some of the, the other indie podcast catchers out there. Um, all the other shows that I mentioned should be available on every podcast catcher, um, including, as I mentioned, darkdiscussions.com. And then I've got some episodes coming up with Cut to the Chase, where we're going to do a review of Adam's Family Values for Halloween. Uh, I'm also going to be on another episode of Cut to the Chase, where we're going to do um, some commentaries of Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episodes. Uh, so that should be fun. Again, I'm a huge Simpsons fan, so that makes sense for me. And whew, I think that's everything. Holy I'm shit, you are the busiest man in horror podcasting. Oh, and uh, to answer your question from earlier, when you mentioned uh, the most podcasts I ever had at one time, that number is 11. 
I had 11 active podcasts going at one time and I had almost no life. So I had to slow down, <laughs> sadly. But I am an absolute podcast whore, let me tell you. I, as Cole mentioned earlier, I don't really have any friends in real life out here in California. I work for DirecTV, so a lot of stuffy shirts and ties. Not really any horror fans, barely any movie fans in general. So podcasting is my escape. It's my, it keeps me sane, if you will. You know, I, um, because of podcasting, I don't have to go out on a murder spree on my own, so. Rock <laughs> you get to watch them instead. We, we, we've got Dan and Lacey joining us here next week. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, yeah. Check it out. I, I told you guys, he's, he's got some great stuff out there. Uh, make sure you check out Mr. Venom. Uh, Tibu, what do you have to uh, leave us with? I want to say that I'm simpatico on the Godzilla love. Um, big Godzilla fan my whole life. Also, Mystery Science Theater, one of my favorite episodes is The Final Sacrifice. I love that movie. That's also a Canadian film. So crazy. Rousdower. I don't go Matt I don't go Matt finding behind him. I look I, I look, dude, I could I could quote that episode all day. I fucking love MST three K so fucking much. Um I enjoyed having Mr. Venom on and talking to him. I mean, this is fucking amazing, man. And I love the movie we talked about tonight. And I yeah, this is this is the best. This is why we do this shit is to have a community talk and feel the fucking love, the love of horror, the obsession with death, the morbid curiosity, because one day the day of the dead comes for us all. And with that, folks, I hope it was as good for you as it was for us. But wait, Mr. Venom, you didn't think we were going to let you get out of here without running the gauntlet, did you? Oh, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> all right mr venom you are going to get put through the gauntlet one word answers if you laugh you lose oh <laughs> mr venom are you ready for the gauntlet i don't think so but what the hell let's go pizza or burgers burgers beer or liquor beer hockey football baseball or basketball football ass or titties titties Stand or sit when you wipe? Uh, sit. Homebody or out with friends? Homebody. Fishing or hunting? Neither. Cannibal Holocaust or a Serbian film? A Serbian film. Rather go blind or rather go deaf? Blind. Top half of Hulk Hogan and bottom half of Margot Robbie or top half of Margot Robbie and bottom half of Hulk Hogan? <laughs> top half of Margot Robbie. Penis-sized nipples or nipple-sized penis? <laughs> Penis-sized nipples. Rock or country? Oh, rock. Cats or dogs? Cats. Doggy or missionary? Uh, doggy. Freddy, Jason, Michael, or Leatherface? Jason. Slasher, zombie, supernatural, or creature feature? Supernatural. Chucky or leprechaun? What was that again? Chucky or leprechaun? Chucky. Ari Aster or Jordan Peele? Ari Aster. 90 or 2000s horror? 2000s. Both have eyes, the original or the remake? Original. Yes. Slow burns or to the point? Uh, slow burns. First movie you ever remember seeing? Horror movie. Horror Hospital, 1974. Favorite horror movie of all time? The Exorcist. 
And that, Mr. Venom, is the gauntlet. Congratulations. You made it through in one piece. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you had fun. Give it up for Mr. Venom. And if he will be back, we will for sure have you back. Mr. Venom, thank you very much for joining us on the Joe Blow Horror Show. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Oh, gentlemen, it was a pleasure. And yeah, as far as coming back, try to keep me away. Fucking A. <laughs> Mm, that was incredible. Is it good for you? <laughs> I've had better. 